Hey, you all, a special thank you to our amazing and growing Patreon.com patrons. Susie, Erica, Stephanie, Alicia, Terry, and our forever first, Trisha. As Patreon patrons, they get early access to our episodes. My eternal gratefulness for helping us express our love for all things Project Runway and our growing allegiance to making the cut. And if you're unfamiliar with Patreon.com, it's a wonderful little site whose mission is to support creative work. There, you can make a small donation of support to the podcast to help out with production costs. And if you'd like to become a Patreon patron, visit our page on Patreon.com forward slash The Workroom Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you so much, Terry, Alicia, Stephanie, Erica, and Trisha. Now let's get to it. Oh, baby, it's so nice having you home again. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't expect me to go this far into the competition. I was surprised that the judges loved it that much. Oh, well, I was not. No, but you're no, my biggest fan, I really of wasn't. <laughs> if they hated it, you would have gone all the way there. You're like, gonna love myself. No, but of nice. course. Me and my family, we've always been very close. Everybody's proud of me. I think my mom, most of all, supported me always for who I was. For me and the rest of our family, you already are our winner. You yeah, know that. definitely a life-changing experience. In the beginning, when I started it, I was like, oh, we'll see how far did I get. But now that I've gotten here, I'm like, okay, bitch, game on. dedicated to Project Runway and loudly bugging the show Making the Cut, the new Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum venture that shows us that when Naomi Campbell struts around with her fabulous jumpsuit around her ankles so she can get a good look at herself in your dress, you're the winner. I'm Ernest. And I'm Patricia. Yay! So, so glad to have you back, Patricia. And um, I'm so excited to talk to you on podcast because we've been talking a lot off podcast about this episode. <laughs> it's been lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and listeners, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, thank you so much for your patience as we've had some busy weeks here in quarantine. Um, so we're finally getting together and talking about um, episode nine, and then we'll save episode 10 because it's going to be a dream three episodes. So we're not covering both. Um, <laughs> uh, so thank you again for your continued patience. And Naylan will be joining us for, for that episode too. So we'll, we'll get all of our thoughts together. Um, and But as always, I want to remind everyone that we have our cheat sheet. And so for this episode, since we didn't really get a runway and we're not seeing the full collections of the final three, um, I put together some highlights, essentially, of um, showing them throughout their process because they get to go home and then um, the pop-up shops that we'll talk about later. And those are in the, the show notes. It's also on the Facebook page. And feel free to join us there on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash the workroom and on Instagram at the workroom podcast. And again, thank you so much for sending in your emails with your takes, your rants, your um, your opinions, and, and their, your really, really hilarious listener letters to us at our Gmail account. And that's in the workroom at gmail.com. And that's I-N-T-H-E workroom at gmail.com. Right. 
Oh my gosh. So, okay, let's let's start this episode. So we're we're on our final three. And we also learn just kind of how long it's been. Um, it's been a month and a half, I think, from from beginning to end, from the from the day we meet them in New York to their their uh, their last day in Tokyo. And we figure this is their last day in Tokyo because Heidi and Tim come in together. They're meeting the final three and they debrief them with how tough this has been. It's been a really hard a month and a half for you guys. And and also just remind you guys, you're all in the running for a million dollars. And how are you guys doing? Do you like Tokyo? Do you like living here? And it's like you can't really fool <laughs> these people anymore because they, they've kind of been, you know, jerked around like at least in three final locations but still Heidi and Tim do their little tease like pack your bags everyone because we're going home we're going home (laughs) so we're not gonna jet set off to some other fashion location um which I thought I thought we were going to go back to New York right away but also wondering if they were going to someplace else I don't I can't really imagine where else they would be going um, I don't know if you thought about that because I was like, well, the you know maybe they would go to Italy, or I was just trying to think of some other place that would be more interesting for them um, besides home. But, yeah, I actually thought, well, are they going to Brazil? Like, I kind of thought, well, wh- hmm. where are they going to go? Like, they've been to this continent, that continent. Are they going to go to India or Brazil? Or and then when they said, oh, you're going home, I thought, whoa. <laughs> Oh, are, are they really going like one to Germany, one to America, and one to oh my God, where does Sanders live? Belgium? No. Another, uh, another uh, Amsterdam. I mean Amsterdam. Uh, yeah. No, somewhere. Okay, there. So I think I was sort of like, wow. And I was like, oh, they mean. Okay, now I get it. I was sort of, yeah. <laughs> the show's not that clear. It's sort of like you have to. It's sort of like you have to get. It's like those those sentence constructions where you have to get to the end of the paragraph to understand what the first sentence meant. Yeah. That's what the show feels like to me. <laughs> huh. Yeah. We're with like a lot of stuff is just sort of mysterious. And I, and I'm, I'm thinking it's also because some of the, the rules have changed midway, you know, it's kind of at the, you know, at the core of it, we kind of know what we're doing, but at the fringes and maybe that's because this is the first season, but yeah, there's mm-hmm. always like a possibility that things will be will be will switch up. And I'm so sorry. Sanders from Belgium. Why did I say oh, Amsterdam? Belgium. Oh well, no. I, I don't know. I have no it, idea. You know, it's the, don't feel bad. I had no idea. Yeah, I no. No, but something. he but he's in the line of of our one of our favorite designers. <laughs> Jeez, fun yeah. Norton. And yeah, anyway, so he's from from Belgium. We'll, we'll and we'll get there. Um um, soon so it's so great so we do get to go to Belgium we get to go back to Berlin to where um, Esther's from and then we go back to LA eventually with with Johnny later um, yeah I mean they they essentially say say goodbye to one another and I you know and I, they also are reminded of what this challenge is so they're going home to work on their collections and by collection, that means between 12 to 14 looks that they're going to show on a runway presentation. But in addition to that, before the runway, they're going to have to design a pop-up shop. And the pop-up shop is, they explain, is like an, a way to preview their fashion show in an accessible way and 
also to prepare for being in the final three, since they're getting a million dollars, they have to prepare a business plan and a pitch for how they're going to use this million dollars to grow their brand. So it's 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 a quite a bit of a bit of homework. And they don't say how long they get for this. We don't get to know how long uh, this whole journey is going to last for their home thing until they come back to New York. So it's it's 30 days. They get 30 days to put together a whole collection and a business plan. And they have to work with the art department to build, uh, to prep and build a pop-up shop. I mean, hmm. it's a That's... lot of homework. Yeah. So, uh, but but I, I it's important to think about that in terms of the timeline and how much time you have to do all the things that these designers did when they went home. So, but before we leave, there is the best interstitial or best <laughs> fake date ever. <laughs> oh, God. which is Tim versus Heidi, the packing, packing edition. <laughs> and I have to say that after watching this. I realized that I've come a long way. Um, I will admit it from hating these things, like absolutely like despising them and wishing that they never existed to being like, huh? All right. I like this version of these fake dates. Like, huh? actually this is not so bad, but it's just sort of like the more and more competition that was put into it, like Heidi versus Tim, the more it became more clear uh, that this is sort of like, <laughs> we're getting to see their, um, uh, I guess they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're extreme I, uh, versions of, of each other, but how they're, you know, they're, they're very, um, they're a good pair, but also they're very opposites and in, in very adorable and cute ways. And mm-hmm. the final way of seeing this so far is the way that they get ready to go home because Tim gets his, this serene and this really orchestral string rendition as a soundtrack for his impeccable process, which is, you know, every suit is in its own dry cleaning bag, which I'm like, yeah, like Tim, do you only wear things that get dry cleaned? And mm, then every yeah. suit it, it gets put into its own little, uh, you know, uh, suitcase with a hanger. And also to me, Tim, Tim, okay, I'm you know thinking about this as a competition as as sports. Tim's way of packing is what you would call like a lifetime sport. It's very ergonomic, and it's something, <laughs> and he does it in a way where it's like he places the suitcase on the bed because that's the best way to do it for your back. You're not going to ruin yourself. And then Heidi, you know, in uh um in opposition, like you know, everything's on the floor, like everything's on the floor and she's sitting on the floor and it's like, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, just chaos. And, um, but at the same time, it's like Tim, Tim to me is like the, the version of myself that I wish I could be, but Heidi is actually who Mm -hmm. I am, which is another thing that I've realized. I'm like, Oh no, I'm identifying more with Heidi because she says this. So we get like the Tim way of packing versus the Heidi way of packing and Heidi's way of packing is like, it's messy, but I know where everything is. And yeah, that's, that's it's, my an or, it's an organized mess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I would love like a masterclass that... for for both. But oh goodness, I'm like that with papers, not with clothes. <laughs> with an organized <laughs> just, mess. With papers? Oh yeah. 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 And books and, and stuff that I'm like working through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But... I, I mean, particularly with packing, 
I guess I'm kind of like a little bit of an in-between, but I do do some stuff like I try on my clothes as I'm packing just so that I'm like, do I really want to take this? Let's make this final decision. Not necessarily like, oh, look, look at all the things that I bought, but I just thought it was great. But I, you know, after watching this part, um, I feel like Tim kind of whipped my show notes into shape because then I started using bullet points and it was just really strange. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Tim is so influential on on so many things. Well, well, he's so streamlined. He's like a yeah. person who is into streamlining. And it's very inspiring to see that. And I think, um, I don't want to call Tim old school. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the, the sort of methods that Tim values have, uh, they obviously stand the test of time, which is why I don't want to say, oh, Tim is old school. Mm-hmm. But, but we in the new school don't get that training anymore. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, I don't know. As a culture, I, I don't think we do. It's like, oh, whatever, whatever. Everything goes. Isn't it great? You know? And um, so I think seeing Tim, it is very inspiring. Just sort of like, oh, my God, I can I can create my own method. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. No, but. I was like, wow, I can't believe it doesn't have a list. Yeah, I mean. I, I need a packing list. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I mean, because it's usually like a kind of pseudo organized or semi organized mess. I mean, the the thing that I took away was like, this is how you make your things last forever. It's not just buying really well-made things, but just sort of the care that he took, even with his shoes, because he has, has a bag for his shoes. I'm just like, I bet those shoes are like 30 years old or something, you know? And they look like he just bought them because this is how Tim treats his shoes. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, all right. So Heidi and Tim are off. Um, they're they're leaving Tokyo. And so do the designers. And the first designer we go home with is Johnny. We're in L.A. And uh, I would like to set the mood for Los Angeles as my hometown. Like I felt um, a, 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 you know, Many, many feelings and thoughts about this because Johnny is, uh, you know, there is no quintessential Los Angeles, but I feel like Johnny is very much um, a product of a type of Los Angelino because he starts off, um, we're at the shoreline, we're at the shoreline of of like some generic LA beach and his toes are in the sand and um, he's, you know, we catch him drinking some, you know, French press coffee made from beans that he probably roasted himself the night before. And he starts off, you know, with this wonderful saying that I wrote down completely in my notes. He goes, being in the comforts of my nest, Mm. I need that to recharge. And so we get an idea of what Johnny's nest is. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, great. So um, again, like Johnny's, family and everyone around him are super super supportive and it's just this really um uh wonderful just i i like idyllic kind of family system and then we have this is in la and it, to me it felt like a very much like an uh, an instagram filter that's named for whatever <laughs> neighborhood he's in and i'm just like oh my god it's just so weirdly oh. like la <laughs> The um oh god it's sort of it's 
It's the uh, if Rocky Balboa was filmed in Silver Lake filter. (laughs) (laughs) That is a perfect description. Instead of running up the steps to the Philadelphia Art Museum, he took a hike up to the observatory and then (laughs) on the way down, walked all the way down to like the generic beach nearby or, you know, who who knows. And it's like, oh, my hands are out. Like, um, Jesus Christ, like, uh, you know, just I've, I've reached I reached the mountain. I don't know. What am I talking about? I'm mixing all these metaphors. I was about to say mountaintop. Like, you're not Martin Luther King. But anyway, but. um, No. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> not a march. Um, Yeah, no, I, I just thought this was so. Oh, man. Anyway, it you know, I get a lot of feelings when I think about Los Angeles. I'm like, mm, warns my heart, but it's also highly annoying. Mm. Um, but all that being said, so he's like, yeah, I just really need that to recharge. You know, I just love being here. And so, um, yeah, now it's time to go to Bali. <laughs> oh, God. I think yeah. he's in L.A. for a day, it looks like. Um, yeah. We're heading to Bali. But why Bali? That's because that's where Johnny's factory is. That's where his team his whole, you know, the patterning department, the sewing department, everyone, um, the, the, I would say the, the muscle behind skin graft is in Bali. And he, we get to meet Marta, who is a studio manager out there. And then throughout the episode, we see a little bit more of his team. And this is an introduction into um, like his process and in terms of how he works with them to create a lot of these things that he wouldn't be able to do um with i guess la based factories mm. and um he's able to do yeah he's like basically a lot of creative managing um that makes it cost effective i guess to hop on mm-hmm. a plane to go all the way to, to bali and not downtown mm-hmm. los angeles mm-hmm. um yeah what any what what yeah, let's talk about this. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Any, any, were you surprised? Were you shocked? I, I, I was kind of surprised and shocked by this. I mean, I was um, disappointed that there was just such a blatant lack of criticality around this. And because, I mean, this conversation about fashion and sweatshops, my God, has been around for 100 years, mm-hmm. right? So this is... and the economic conditions being what they are, it's like, I'd love to have known more about that tailor shop, you know? And also, so later in this episode, I hope it's okay that I say this. Yeah. um, But later, Johnny hints at a type of fabric that is going to be very prominent in Johnny's collection that's going to be uh, like the echo push of of the collection. Mm -hmm. And later in the show, when I heard that, I was like, but you just flew to Bali to... It, it seems just so misguided and I understand there's also um, an issue with oh this is the kind of tailor shop that I can do small runs so it's cost efficient to do small runs I understand that's a business need but I mean who does Everlane use mm. right who do all these other designers well, not designers um yes other designers and other kind of manufacturers that don't want to that want to pay their employees fairly and that want to change the production line of fashion who are they using mm-hmm. so like i was disappointed there wasn't more about what these decisions mean especially if you're going for an and i quote johnny echo push 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I really was. Yeah, it was because for me there was a mixture of just, just overall annoyance, a little, and I was also fascinated because I'm just like, okay, well, this is something that you've been doing, um, but I, I think, yeah, I was also just very thrown off, and and at this time we don't know how much time that they do get, but knowing, and which we learn in the back end, that they have 30 days. That um, in order to get all of this done in 30 days, just the amount of time and coordination uh, that would have taken, but also that this is sort of uh, uh, how he's been running his business before all of this making the cut stuff happen. And so it was, I don't know, it's, it's, but I'm, I was surprised also because yeah, where does Everlane get their work done? And, but also that there is a thriving um, factory culture in Los Angeles, that there's a lot of textile and retail manufacturing there. Um, and I would like, I would have loved an explanation as to why you are in Los Angeles, but your work is all done in Indonesia. And also I'm pretty sure that that yeah. place, that his studio out there is well managed, well run. Um, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that they're, they're paid uh, fair wages and that the working conditions are safe. Um, yeah. and I, and yeah, there's just something about it where I'm, yeah, I had a lot of questions. I'm like, I just want to know what is your explanation rather than it just being like, oh, they can do small runs and therefore it gives me more creativity. Yeah. Because even thinking about, uh, in contrast, like Dries von Norton. So there is a documentary, mm-hmm. uh, about oh, him. Which I haven't seen, oh which gosh. I haven't seen. You haven't seen it? Oh my God. No, it's so... I need to. Okay. All right. No. Okay. I need to. Also listeners. Please see it. It's also on Amazon. So Amazon, uh, I don't, I don't think it's an Amazon produced thing. Amazon has just been acquiring these fashion documentaries. Like there's another fashion documentary about uh, Vivian Westwood that's really fascinating. Ooh, I love her. So good. Um, it's all over the place, but it's, it's great. So, but the same company did this profile of Dries von Norton. Dries von Norton is an incredibly prominent, successful, wealthy designer and talks about the privilege of being able to design his own prints and send things out and have them come back and also done doing small runs. And there's also an, there's an acknowledgement that not all designers can do this and it's so expensive mm-hmm. and it's inefficient and, Hand, you know, handmade, right? Handmade. handmade. Yeah. And some of it, some yeah. of it machine made, but, but along the same lines of, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to make a lot of this. And I, I, what I make them, pretty much going to sell and there's also like that eco push there but um for for johnny you know in terms of the eco push and this response to fast fast fashion and something that is a problem when we even think about amazon no yeah i would like i would have loved a little bit more diving into why are you doing this and and um i don't know it just it was like it just it just seemed like I don't know whatever I don't yeah I listeners if you have thoughts about that please <laughs> and we'll talk about this on the next episode too I know um, yeah but it it was it's just like go ahead I'm sorry I apologize I was no, interrupting no, no no worries I tend to ramble mm, oh I like it um that that's why I feel bad because I'm like oh if I'm interrupting Ernest I'm denying myself the joy of hearing the ramble you know <laughs> that's the Okay, that makes me feel less bad. Or yeah, I should say better. Whatever, it's fine. I'll get over it. It's like I just—I was like, 
I don't know. I grew up in a time and a place and I heard a lot of things. Right. So, mm-hmm. and I'm influenced by a lot of things. So it's like you are a Western person going to a culture that has a long established tradition of like fabric dyeing, mm-hmm. of doing something called batik, you know, like this is sort of like not just a product to us. This is like the, a craft that has like contextual meaning. It has, yes, also commercial potential. Why not? Like I'm not against any of that. But the sort of cluelessness, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, did you ever talk about about learning anything about this process? Mm. Did you ask Marta anything else besides what Marta can do for you? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and that's what made me feel like, ugh, about it. Yeah, yeah, they're assuming that we, because, yeah, this is a, this is, a, this is a very wonderful learning opportunity because it's a it's a way of doing something and it's a way of of manufacturing just so many things that this show has already done and and especially in terms of their relationship with the seamstresses and the you know the invisible elves that we barely got to see and and this idea of a tech pack and you know a brand growing a brand versus you know from project runway being a, a, a relatively emerging designers um uh, this was another thing where we could see the difference between how all three of these people who go back were in different phases of their careers, perhaps, I guess relative, like the only, the, I think the most different um, would be Sander on the surface. But I think in terms of seeing how Johnny manufactures his stuff versus seeing how Esther approaches her stuff and then Sander, even though Johnny and Esther are around, have have around the same amount of experience in terms of years, it's their their approach is so different, and I, I you know it's like a this would just be a learning opportunity like to know how how does Johnny what is what really is his relationship like with these people and um yeah anyway I have so many questions yeah all right so um and we'll come back to this throughout so uh we can go to Hasselt Hasselt yes. Yes. We're going, we're in Belgium. There, we're there. <laughs> we're in Belgium with baby Sander and Mama Ingrid. Sander's oh. mom. <laughs> His mother is oh so we so we meet them. So Sander is back home and taking us on a on a tour of the this idyllic backwoods area. Uh, on a walk with his mother, who's so supportive and and I you know, I'm sure that so she says these things like, oh, Sander, it doesn't matter. You're already a winner to us. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, this sounds fake, but I, I, it isn't. I just feel like it's just me being cynical and, and you know, whatever. But I, I feel like that's how she she just generally talks to her son. He's like, yeah, mom, like, thanks so much. Like, I'm I'm amazing. Like, you're so supportive. I love you so much. You're great. Like, my parents are the, are the best. They're great. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, whatever. It's, it's fine. Um, it's so, I just love it so much. Cause he's like, yeah, I know I wouldn't be here without my parents and, and, you know, and my sister, like, they're just amazing. They're wonderful. I'm just, I'm sort of getting like this, like a very healthy, um, uh, oh gosh, what is that? I, all I want to say is house of Z. It's so terrible that I always for, oh. already forgot his name. Miss boss, Miss boss. Um, no, boss? um, what? So House of Z, which is another documentary um, that I, oh, I think you guys should watch, which is a which is about our beloved Zach Posen. 
Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh no, I haven't seen that either. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's kind of oh gosh, Zach Posen. I, all of that came in my head was like House of Z. Just of just thinking of Xander. I'm sorry, Sander. Whoa, Sander as this really really young kid, and you're thinking like, oh, you're so precocious and tenacious, and you you are. Um, secure in ways that a lot of other 24-year-olds aren't secure, blah, blah, kind of like maybe like a Siriano-esque type person. What is it? And then you get to his house and, and it's just support. His parents are so supportive. His sister is so supportive. And his sister is also, we've, we are introduced to her, um, is is a collaborator as well. And so it's like opposed to Johnny, who's got this, also a very, very supportive base. You know, we see... Um, his husband, and we've already seen um, his parents uh, via Zoom um, back when they were opening up his store in Abstentia. Um, he, but he has like a, a team of people, uh, essentially like a whole factory force over in Bali. And then Sander has about four people on his team, including himself. So he has two seamstresses and his sister and himself. And then also his mom drives him everywhere because he can't drive. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> so. <laughs> but, and, and I bet when mommy is at the wheel, mm-hmm. Sanders is not talking like, yes, bitch, yes, <laughs> go down the house, whatever, yes. I'm like. <laughs> it's so, because in my head, he does talk like that. I'm like, Sander, oh, look at this place. Look at the Royal Academy of Fine Arts where you are in the direct line of the Antwerp 6. He's like, yes, bitch, like, look at this. Like, we are so fierce. Yes, everything. It is everything. Yes. Look at the other place where I used to flip burgers, but look at me now. Oh, yes. But then it's just like a different octave with everyone. It's like, yes, look at this. Oh, yes, everything. Look at that. But then with his mom, he still talks the same way. She goes, oh, my God, Sender, look at you. I love the things that you say. Everything that comes out of your mouth is so amazing i support you wholeheartedly you're a winner you're already winners like yes mom yes bitch work you're amazing <laughs> that's just in my head that's just how I feel like he actually i talks. love this podcast i love this podcast it is <laughs> this one right here right now <laughs> yeah no i would love to just imitate sander and mama ingrid just having like a normal conversation over breakfast. And it's like, Sander, my love, would you like some eggs? Like, yes, bitch, eggs. You, you make the best eggs ever. And she goes, oh my gosh, Sander, I just, I think the world of you. And then what's his sister's name? I wrote it down. Oh, shoot. I don't know. Let's call I, I didn't the sister and how amazing she is. So it looks as if she's like the textile designer behind, oh, um, mm-hmm. behind his work. Um, so, okay, so let's get back to actually what's happening and out of, like, make-believe, like, Ingrid versus um, Sander. <laughs> so his sister, because um, everyone's so incredibly creative, and um, and, I, and I think that's a part of it, where she's, so we, we kind of meet her, oh my gosh, I think we're out of, out of order. I just kind of think about them. But, um, you know, she's someone who's... Um, the, the, the computer is out and she's kind of giving him feedback on the textiles and things like that. Um, I'm just kind of going up to see what her name is. It starts with an A, but just in general, just uh, Anka, that's her name. Mm, A-N-K-E. Okay. Anka is, is, is a sister. Um, so yeah. So essentially on this first round of, of, of flashbacks with Sander back at home, um, we, we get to see him working a little bit with, 
um, a collaborator, one of the uh, his sewers, and um, and also an an entryway into his idea for the pop up shop. So we have we don't know what Johnny's going to do for his pop up shop yet, but we do know for Sander. And this is where he introduces um, his idea of doing in-house tailoring as a way of opening the line of communication between what's manufactured and the the consumer, which I mm-hmm. thought was a really interesting way of approaching this idea of globalization that we really didn't get into with Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's like whole uh like i i just thought it was an interesting contrast contrast in general yeah me too i was really excited by this by the way i was like (sighs) i was so happy to hear this by the way Mm -hmm. you know i'm just gonna say it i was gonna wait for later but i'm just gonna say it now because otherwise i'm gonna forget i'm gonna forget um there is okay so we start out the show with like okay you with heidi saying you've all have shown fight or not, not the show, the episode, this particular episode with oh, yeah. Heidi saying, you all have shown fight and the ability to rise above the rest to meet them, to be the next global brand. We've heard global brand over and over. Global brand, hmm. global brand. Fine. Yes, that's what the show is about. But there's this thing that's called like real life bodies that, yes, uh, we all know by now that Heidi and Tim are aware of that and want to make positive change around that in the fashion industry but um when you are a global brand so there's something called sizing right so you don't make suits or or dresses or whatever in sizing for the uk and america and spain that you do for uh, hong kong Right. You don't make, like, there's such a different sizing in the cut. I mean, even when we go buy shoes now, we're like, oh, I'm a EU 36, I'm a UK 4, I'm a Japanese 25, right? Mm. Even these are just different expressions of different, different measurements for the fact that all of these different markets have their own sizing system and measuring system. That's all fine. But we're talking about global brands that have no, that so far, and not yet, have no, like, this has not been brought up. Like, how do you culturally design as the global brand for different sizing? And it's a lot, for me, it's about more than proportion. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, changing a design changes proportion, changes this, changes that. It's not like this little vector you can just minimize on a computer. So when, when Sander said, oh, I want to have in-house tailoring, I was like, can you imagine a global brand (laughs) that can manufacture like this takes out the the sort of sizing thing. Like it reduces that by what I meant was this is very responsive to different markets in a way that's very personal. Mm. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought about how, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, and and that's that's even that's it's it's, it's interesting interesting to introduce that because I it, for the first time, um, I know I have never really thought about the idea of sizing as being different in different markets because it definitely is a I would say a North American centered and and specifically U.S. centered in in the way we think about these things and I think it's just a part of how we don't really have to think about other places as, as it's harder to think about other 
how things are done in other places. Um, uh, you know, if you're if you're used to shopping in a particular way, and even on on Amazon, oh, just think about that. Um, if you go into the Making the Cut store and you look for the sizing, it doesn't have those translations. Like there's no zeros and there's no fourteens or or it, it's like extra extra small to extra extra large. Which is interesting because a lot of people, when they do leave comments, I don't think people understand what the sizing means. And they see these extra, extra larges, but people are just like, but extra, extra large isn't, still isn't big enough for me. But I'm like, but what, is, what do we even mean by extra, extra large? Like, what are the, you know, you have to kind of go in and see what the dimensions and sizings are. But I think, think that's fascinating. And, um, and even thinking about how that is something that would lend it towards being something that's globally uh, responsive. Because I was just thinking about in terms of waste and fast fashion, but. But I think this would reduce waste because then you can have it, you can have something manufactured to a point Mm -hmm. with the, with the expressed intention of like, Oh, this is going to be a unique piece to me. Right. Right. And I think that um, maybe whatever, expenses are offset in mass producing everything are going to be um, allocated differently because now you have to pay for a couple of in-house tailors. Big deal. Right. Like J. Crew already has that. Banana Republic, all these like the stores, they, uh, and these are just the ones that I know about. I, I know other stores do this that Unicorn are more high end, but yeah, they do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. They do complimentary tailoring or sometimes it's a little bit more, but very affordable. Mm-hmm. So that's already part of the landscape anyway. So why not just accept it? Yeah. <laughs> like accept it more. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was a really, really brilliant idea to have. I was really excited by it. Yeah. Same. I just, I thought it was a really, really interesting idea. Um, wow. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. Ready to go to Berlin. Yeah. A.K.A. The- Esther's White Haven. <laughs> yes, the White Casa. Or White Casa. <laughs> Casablanca. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's, again, like there's this Instagram filter that they put over Berlin <laughs> that is just so, I think in, in terms of Berlin, it was it felt unfair. I was like, you can't photograph Esther the same way that you photographed Johnny like I think mm-hmm. it's, it's not the same but, but she's like yes I'm in my apartment and I understand I wear a lot of black but there's very very little black in my apartment everything is white because I need light I need so much light so much light in my life and anyway but like, <laughs> like Esther oh my god like, so we're in her apartment for very a very brief amount of time before we're out to see how she's kind of tackling a bunch of stuff and we get to see her atelier slash maybe like a a storefront and I'm I'm so curious about what happened to her storefront while she was away but um what's what's different about this in terms of um, how we're profiling Esther is that we don't see anyone from her life because she hasn't told anyone that she came back (laughs) (laughs) she hasn't told any of her friends um and in and in and in i bring that up because uh i i want to i i know we know that she has a team of people there's just no way that she's able to 
maintain all this by herself, but I have a feeling that she probably closed a store while she was on the show. Yeah. I don't know. How did you feel about this? Or in general, like a, a kind of like look into Esther back in, in Berlin. Yeah. She, it, it's definitely clear that Esther is the one contestant, we know, well, it has lasted this long that we know the least about in terms of her family life, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I absolutely think she has a team. I'm sure she had to keep her store going. Yeah. She's too good at managing people to not have that, in, to not have learned how to do that. Yeah, you know? good point. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, because I, I, it's like we, I don't know. I, I really am curious. Maybe that's what it is. Like, I'm just like, I want to know, like, who, who are these people? And also to see her in action because uh, we get to see her her plan or schematic or or a, a mock-up I would say like a paper mock-up that she and the rest the other designers are required to send to the I'm just calling I'm just gonna call them the Amazon art department I don't know who they are but the people who are gonna build the pop-up shops once they get back to New York and so um, she has really really detailed sketches and I, I really I, I just enjoyed seeing these um just kind of how she's working through things because we, we're getting a little we're getting different aspects of everyone in the different parts of their process um and she's thought about her pop-up shop where she's going to treat it as an art installation with a lot of black ropes piles of black ropes everywhere and um and and already thinking of other things that she's going to put into the shop and with her accessories and um yeah so it, but but I was really impressed by looking by seeing the, the schematic sketches of what she's going to be doing. Because again, they only have 30 days to do all of this. It's just a, a ton of work to be done in just 30 days yeah. um, after leaving Tokyo. But, um, but also the emotional aspect of, of being in such an intense part of this competition. And I can totally relate to her coming back to Berlin and not telling anyone that she's in town because again, yeah. You don't have time to hang out with people. You don't. You don't have time to like say hi three, or three days. Three. <laughs> it's not a lot of time. Um. So yeah, yeah. All right. So, oh my goodness! Now we're back in New York. It's been not that long. We see little tiny slivers of everyone, and then we're we're back in New York because just you know this is the most important part. Um. There we we see them coming. We're you know flying and landing in the airport, and making their way to their new workroom area in New York City. So this is the first time that they're ever working inside New York. When we first met them, they were in a hotel room somewhere <laughs> in Soho, and uh, flew directly to Paris. And that's the first workroom that we were introduced to uh, with them. So this time they get back to New York. And it looks like each designer section of the workroom is set up like an Amazon account. So it's like Ooh. someone figured out their algorithms in Paris Ooh. and in Tokyo. And the three of them get their own section of the large workroom area that's outfitted in a way that is a, according to their quote unquote personality. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is truly an embodiment of what it, an, an Amazon shopping experience is like, where you buy some duct tape and then along the bottom, they're like, oh, 
Hmm. Other people who bought this duct tape bought this too. And then you buy the <laughs> other thing to like, hmm, looks like you bought a hammer. So we're going to suggest some nails over here because, you know, we're just kind of like tracking, you know, figure out your, your behavior because Esther's whole side is decked out in black and gold. And not just it's like, you know, of I think if they knew Esther, they would put everything in white. But I think just based off of her behavior on the show, they don't know that, even though she's you know said that out loud. But she really likes this. She's like, oh, my God, I have a gold stool. She has a gold stool and she has like black and gold light fixtures. And then I think Sanders studio looks like it looks Scandinavian. It looks just generically Scandinavian to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then Johnny is kind of the, the most generic version of it. But um, yeah. Yeah. There's a cool vintage trunk that's doubling as a coffee table. But I'm like, that doesn't look like it's functional in a workroom. Are you supposed to sketch mm-hmm. on a trunk? I don't know. Anyway, or maybe <laughs> Johnny's the type of person who would have like, you know, a nicely, uh, a freshly brewed French press cup of coffee on on his trunk, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Did you notice this? Did it, did it weird you out a little bit? It weirded me out. <laughs> it did. It did. But I like what you just said about it. Um, I was like, wow, look at all that money. Wow. Like, yeah. why? You know, like they can work. They don't need all of this to work. Like they don't need an interim reward. They need some sleep and some rules they can stick to and understand. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need all this like accessorizing product placement for Amazon, you know? Yeah, no, it's like, oh, the, Amazon is just dazzling us <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the three of them are back together, and I just, you know, it warms my heart because they all really love each other. And and and, and at first, the, the first two to get there um, are Esther and Sander, and then Johnny joins them afterwards wearing, like, a drop-crop jumpsuit because, like, he came here to work, all right? Not to talk and catch up and hang out. Like, that's why I'm wearing yeah. my work clothes. Anyway. But that's yeah. what I, that's why I'm doing like karate moves, you know, in, in, in my in our working space. Just to show you that I'm ready to kick your faces. Yeah, guys. <laughs> Remember, like, I love you all, but this is a competition. Anyway, Wild. so um, um, I didn't I came here to make friends, but also to beat your asses. That's not cliche at all. Right. So Anyway, so there was this wonderful time of, of catching up and saying hello to each other and sizing each other up, of course, because and also everyone's so tired. Sander points out Esther, like Esther, oh my God, she's, you look so sleepy. But anyway. That's like so European, though, to like not avoid what is obvious. <laughs> and I, I, I watched that. I was like, oh, my God. I, yeah, that's like visiting my family, like seeing my grandmother, like coming home after a plane ride. And she's like, your hair's so messy. How are you? I love you. You know, it's not like, Hey, how are you? I'm so happy to see you. The first word is, Oh my gosh, your hair is messy. You know, like, it's like, yeah, so I just I got thought... off a seven hour plane ride, you know? Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> so I actually thought that was like affectionate. It's like, and, and, and it's, um, what's the word? It's familial. Yeah. that seems very familial to me which yeah be kind, of, kind of messed up or or kind of okay depending on how you relate to that yeah no definitely <laughs> definitely i mean and um yeah that's so interesting because i i feel like i feel like johnny's way of of 
of greeting everyone was was a little less familial. Like Johnny definitely has his competition hat on. Yeah. Um, more than the other two because they're just kind of chatting and then Esther's like well we're just kind of chatting because once we stop talking we actually have to do some work he's like uh excuse me like this this is why we're here like I'm in New York it's great to see you but I'm in New York to win so bye guys me and my jumpsuit are gonna be in this corner um drinking some coffee but actually doing some work because that's what we're here to do anyway um can I say something about competition? Oh, because yeah. Because I think you've tapped into something that I've kind of had me squirming. Oh, no. So much. No, no, I think it's not, not shocking. Just squirming, not what you said, but just to show that I think they all have their competition hats on. You know, standard jokes around all the time. Like, oh, go home. I don't want you here. I want to win, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think to me, to my personality, the competition Everybody knows it's in a competition. Everybody knows the stakes are high. But I I think that Johnny, I'm sorry, um, Esther and Sander, I think their approach is like, oh, well, my work is going to speak for itself. It like, I have no control over who's going to be chosen. So I am going to just do the best that I can, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Johnny is very aware of the power of salesmanship because, I mean, he... Johnny and me and you, we all live in a culture where that is very overt. Whereas in Germany and in Belgium, and by the way, I've been to Germany minutely. I've never been to Belgium, but I I grew up in Portugal. I don't think European culture, I mean, it's very varied, but it's also not shockingly varied. Mm -hmm. Um, But overtness like that, overtness about um, your intention can seem very aggressive and rude. And... I don't think Johnny is trying to be rude, but I think Johnny is very aware of like the showmanship required in hashtag winning it, you know, hashtag mm-hmm. winning. Whereas I think Sander and Esther are not clueless. They're not stupid. They're mm-hmm. not, they know they're in a competition, but I think they are acculturated, uh, you know, as, as I often also struggle with, with like, Letting what you do speak for itself and not talking too much and, and, and not, um, I don't know, not, I'm going to use a funny word, not trespassing on how people feel about your work, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, whereas in Johnny's culture and, and, and in my culture too, because I live here, it's all about like, tell people how to feel about your work. So mm-hmm. you can kind of like sell yourself with a backstory. Hmm. Whereas, I don't know, that's sort of how I have felt throughout the show and what you just picked up on. Like, Johnny definitely has his competition hat on. I think they all do, but the hat is differently for each person. And mm. I think Johnny's hat is just the loudest of the hats. Yeah, I you know? I totally agree with that. And, and, yeah, thank you for the perspective. Because there's something you, – you've kind of started – yeah, that's helpful to think or, or helpful for me to put um, – or I would say to make more concrete this – this thing that I'm or this vibe or this this very amorphous thing that's been in my head about Johnny in particular and how intentional and because um, I, I would I would say like the, the big word is manipulative, but not in a negative sense, just kind of in that. Yeah. I, I think what you're talking about and like I'm going to I have the power to to convince you how to think and how to feel about what I do. And so I do not think it, I don't I not mean that in a manipulative uh, or in a negative kind of way, but it harkens back to that 
Johnny versus Megan moment that made me so uncomfortable. Yes, um, exactly, way, exactly. Yeah, because the way he approached that, it was so deft. Like it was so, it was so skillful. But behind the skill, I think is was what 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 you're what you're pointing out is like this like this, and it's also like a sense of self and a sense of of real or. Uh, or awareness yeah entitlement yeah awareness that this is what I'm here to do and for Megan she again talks about her work really well stands behind it but I think is does have that that sense of like you're you're you are also entitled to have your autonomous ideas and views of what I'm doing and it you know it's again like no no judgment in a negative or a positive way it's just an observation but definitely with Johnny um because in that Megan versus Johnny thing he would in a it's just so skillfully would incorporate words that the judges used into how he answered back um or he would recharacterize yes. what they were saying or do that that whole thing of like repeating and kind of mirroring thing mm-hmm. that he does mm-hmm. um it's yeah. so it's really it, it, it it's really good like you know I, you know i can't I, i'm not gonna uh uh, I, I have to just acknowledge that, but yeah, no, totally get it. Anyway, but, I'm, think, I'm thinking about these in real time because I th- it, there's so yeah. many things about this show and and even seeing these people, especially someone like Johnny versus an Esther and versus a Sander, because they're all incredibly unique and different in how they approach their work. But Johnny has this salesmanship thing that I've is is very distinct from Esther, and I, I think anyone yeah. else on the show is very very yeah. distinct. And I think it's purely a culturation. I don't think mm-hmm. Johnny's trying to be anything other than doing what Johnny thinks is the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see more of this because this comes up throughout the episode. Um, but just as they're going to their little corners, Tim comes in. And Tim invites them into a waiting area um, and invites them through these huge rolling doors so he can give give them some messed up news <laughs> so he gets them all they're sitting on the couch and he's like guys the next two days is going to be intense you're gonna have your pop-up shops that need to be constructed starting now with Stuart. and the, and he says Stuart like we're supposed to know who Stuart is i'm like i don't remember meeting Stuart, but anyway so there's a Stuart downstairs who's building their pop-up shops and um and then he and then Tim reminds them that the pop-up shop is an incredibly important experience because it's their their chance to invite the customer and give them the their their experience but also because they're going to be tallying up their sales and yeah. the the person who sells the most <laughs> determines who the winner of this is and, um, you know, they're inviting members of the, of the NYC public. And I think that means, you know, a bunch of people who have a, a ton of followers on Instagram, perhaps. I don't know. Anyway, um, but this is where they get kind of some fucked up news. After the pop-up shop, there's going to be an elimination. Yeah. And so there are only going to be two people who go to the finale. And uh, the whoever gets to go to the finale is will be determined by the outcome of that pop-up shop. And I don't know if it's if it makes I don't know if you understood this even at the conclusion of this if that meant that they're tallying up sales so the top two sellers get to go, or if it's a, a combination of the judging and the selling. I I thought that okay, 
my notes from this part mm-hmm. um, were that um, the pop-up shops are focused on a customer experience, okay? Mm-hmm. But that's, that sales are going to count, but we, we're not told how much. They're supposed to pay attention to visual merchandising. I'm quoting Tim right now. Okay. These aren't my like fancy industry words. I'm quoting Tim right now. <laughs> visual merchandising, product seduction, and the feel of the space, end yes. quote. So um, that's, I thought, okay, well, how much is are the sales going to count? But it seemed like it would all be relative. Like it would be part of the weight, but it, but flexibly. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't okay. think they ever said, oh, it's only about sales. Okay. That was not, I don't think that was the point. Okay, okay. No, I was just wondering because I'm just, you know. That's what I thought. I could be wrong. No, I, I think that, that sounds more like it. For some reason, I was really confused by this, but also confused by mm-hmm. only two people moving on. And why? Why would you only want two runways? Let's have three. Um, another thing that's different from Project Runway, because in Project Runway, we have at least three, at most four, yeah. which is great. I don't think they would ever do a two, uh, a two runway show. Um, but alas, we're in a different you know, a different territory now. So we only have two and it's just like, it's just so hard to hear this. Um, But in the meantime, we have more Tim time. So Tim takes them back into the workroom and uh, lets them kind of go back to their, their spaces. And instead of this being more like a critique time with Tim, it's more of like a, Tim is like a, like a conduit for more background info about their times at home. So this is the part of the episode where we get more flashbacks to, uh, to Belgium, back to Germany and back to uh, the States with, uh, with Johnny in LA. Um, first we talk to Sander and this is where we're introduced to the official name of his brand, which is Miss Boss now. Um, and he describes it as being some somewhere in between streetwear and couture. <laughs> I love what Sander says next. Which is? Did you catch? I love this line, which is the, hold on. Da, 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 da. I'm looking for my notes. The silver lining between two angry clouds. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That Sanders collection is going to be between streetwear and couture, and it's going to be the silver lining between, you know, brackets, those two, mm-hmm. and brackets, angry clouds. <laughs> yeah. I I really did love that. I just I just kind of thought this whole this whole section of, of going back to Sanders' world it, uh, was, was pretty great. Because um, yeah. we do see that he actually is using some silver, uh, like di- uh, he called them diamond collars. Um, around some of these pieces so we we get to see we meet Anka his sister uh, who has helped him design these textiles and um, and the two sewers that he's he's been working with so again like a total of four but um, I I just thought it was a really interesting extreme to go like specifically streetwear because he's trying to tackle the thing, the the main thing the judges have knocked him for which is accessibility and yeah the most the thing that he's probably taken away with and learned the most from this competition, which is, oh, okay, t-shirts aren't crappy things to make. Like they're, they aren't beneath mm-hmm. me. I can make a t-shirt. I can do right. this. So yeah. 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 And by the way, uh, Miss Boss has a hilarious Instagram account that I'm now following. 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I I went to the website. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I okay, no. It, it it's 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 kind of hilarious and it's it's you know, it's all it's all really funny, but I I know. I I think it's really great cuz I would never think of Sander being anywhere ne- near streetwear. That's not necessarily what he's saying. It is the accessibility, but I kind of like those two markers in describing where where he's trying to go. So it's like, yeah, good. Yeah. You you have a really great um, artist statement <laughs> for your work. Indeed. Um, yeah. Next, we go to to Esther, and so we're back. We're back in New York. So it's kind of like this back and forth where we're 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 in we're back in time with 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 these designers, and then we come back to the present, and then Tim kisses them goodbye, and then we move on to the next designer. <laughs> So Tim doesn't say anything like I would have loved to hear more from Tim, but it's just all we get to hear from Tim is him going, how do you feel? Are you okay? Like, yeah, no, this is like the best thing I've ever made. Like, okay, good. Bye. And then Kim like blows him a kiss, (laughs) Um, which is totally fine. Um, But I would, of course I can always, I would always love like more Tim. But when we come back to New York, um, we get to see the first, hint of a steward so we meet steward for the first time and he's meeting with esther and going over her pop-up shop ideas with him and esther we we see a lot of black rope she's she's using a lot of uh, concrete and it's very berlin and i i agree yeah so yeah that's that's pretty much it but the schematics for her her place just kind of they just kind of like look, look very cool yeah they do um all right next we go to johnny and johnny has some tim time and tim comes back and like so johnny how are you doing and so we we hear him uh talk about how he's officially rebranded his label to be his first and last name johnny coda and then we we are taken back to bali so let's go back to bali (laughs) shall we and (laughs) we see (laughs) Johnny shopping for fabrics, Johnny talking to his studio manager, and then Johnny has new clothing tags. And on the clothing tags, it reads, we're all performers in life's grand circus. Hear us Uh, roar. And, you know, I'm I'm all for being reminded that Johnny got to start in the circus because it helps me feel a little bit better about him. But, but But still, you have to have these... Uh, these clothing tags that are still, um, you know, like Hallmark cards. I feel like part of Johnny's thing is he he speaks like a Hallmark card, and then you know his <laughs> his his label philosophy is also like a Hallmark card. And I you know Johnny seems like someone who would have a mantra to his life and walks around all day with you know, meditations and his heart, you know, just actually written on papers and every day he changes the meditation in his little pocket or something. I don't know. You know, it just kind of seems like that kind of person. Hmm. Um, also, Johnny made candles and shoes yes. and bags that seemed, and The candles jewelry. seemed very LA to me. Oh my God. But I've never been there. It's just like my <laughs> idea of it. Like every store has to have its own candle line. But do they? I feel like they I don't. don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, 
You know, it's so funny because I always want to, my first, my knee-jerk reaction is to be defensive uh, with LA, but no, I, I totally agree with you. It, it is very LA in, in an annoying sense, but also the sense of when you, I would say outside of the, the realm of making the cut, when we think about brands and when people say, oh my God, this is my brand, um, I've only, I've mostly seen it spoken by people who are maybe not deserving of using that word. And we've talked about this, you know, like even even think back to, you know, I guess never mind. I'm going to bring up like those Netflix shows of, um, you know, when they invite Instagram people on there and essentially they are their brands, but they don't really make Mm -hmm. anything, but maybe they'll endorse like a tummy tea on on their Instagram feed or they're like, Oh my God, like look at this towel that I'm using now. And this is a part of my lifestyle brand or a housewife saying like they have a a lifestyle brand, but here we have someone in real life who's, who can legitimately think about themselves as a brand now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's annoying, but yet it's like, it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I said LA, I guess, I, I mean, LA is like, so there's so much different types of like LA culture, but I was thinking specifically that housewife culture. Oh yeah. yeah like, yeah, or yeah. housewife show culture, I should yeah. say. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, but I mean, he's, you know, he's designing with bamboo and uh, using prints, using colors. And he, he says these words, I'm, I'm building a world and I want everyone to be a part of this world too, which is what the, what the judges are looking for there. And, and when they talk about brands and, and, um, and lifestyle brands and, and these labels and things like that, the judges have been talking about this wanting to make consumers, um, you know, the consumer or these people feel like a part of their life, a part of a part of your life, a part of your world, a part of a, something that they want to aspire to. And when he pulled out the candles, I'm just like, ah, oh, God damn it. Johnny's pulling out candles. Shoot. Like he's doing such a great job with this. Mm. <laughs> it's annoying. Um, so, but also because like I, the only other person who's really sort of thinking in this way is Esther. But but not necessarily um, on the same scale. Mm. So, all right, let's go back to New York, and we're back with Stuart. And Stuart, it's Stuart's turn to meet with Sander. It's super iridescent. <laughs> yes, it was like you know, like a yeah. It was like the the, the kitchen in a club exploded with clothes. <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice it's fun and I you know this is like part of the, one of those things I'm just like I don't you know I'm I'm so interested in how all of them are imbuing their style into stuff and I think Sanders probably the the most the wildest card out of everybody and so but his idea of doing this is is interesting because it's mimicking the gradients of colors in his collection so he's like, yeah. yeah, I'm going to put this iridescent foil up there and blah, blah, blah this, blah, blah, that. And, it, and it, of course, it's a it's a nice contrast to what Esther's doing in her pop-up shop, which is pretty expected. Like, we know. We already know a lot about, we know very little about Esther's personal life, but we know a lot about her her, her brand. And, yeah. of course, it's going to be black and it's going to be Berlin-inspired. And then with, with Sander, it's like, yeah, so um, – my atelier is called House of Boss, and so I'm making a house. 
And then um, I wanted it to be like an art installation. So everything is going to be mirrors. And I just kind of cracked up. And he's like, there's going to be mirrors. There's gonna be like a, a mirrored box in the middle of it because like I want to feel like an art installation. And just thinking about how, you know, the whole thing about art, literally reflective art, like art that actually you can see your face in it is mm-hmm, really attractive mm-hmm. to look at. And so for him to put mirrors everywhere, it's not just about trying on the clothes, but it's like, it's like, well, this is kind of like what art can look like too. Like art is reflective, but it's this, it's, it, it's an interesting take on, on contemporary art. I thought also. Um, I loved it. I think I say I was really happy at this moment. I thought, mm-hmm. Sandor, you are doing everything we think you are asked to do because, yeah. because you are, first of all, taking a risk, doing something that is more, commercial for you and from what the judges have seen of you mm-hmm. um you are thinking about what's right for the brand you want to have and make and develop and you're making all of these choices in very holistic ways so i thought go sander because esther and johnny well more esther was her collection a risk sure th- there's an element of risk but i think Sander was taking way more risk because he was doing things that were, in com- in comparison to what Sander has made before, far more casual. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. literally making just well. We'll see later, but um, so I was really happy at this point. Yeah, no, I I was too, and I I had a feeling that um, yeah, no, I it just was really I yeah yeah it was just really fun to look at, and. Because I, I I don't know I just really enjoyed where he went with that and everything seemed consistent, and I think putting putting tailors in a place like that that is just vibrant and it 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 had the feel of um, something that could subvert people's expectations of what it would look like to go into a place with tailors you know you would think of something that's more maybe like a lot of wood paneling I don't know I'm just kind of thinking of what we would think about if you go into a place with, with tailoring or yeah. where tailoring is, uh, is something offered. That, that's offered. Yeah. Something that's like not as casual. And, 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 you know, I, I did say that Uniqlo has, they do have in-house tailors, but when they started doing something like that, I remember when they first opened up a store in New York and that was one of the things like you could come in and buy these jeans, but if the jeans are too long, then for free, you can go and get them tailored. And I just thought, wow, that's really strange, but really wonderful because the only other place I thought about that where you could do something like that was Nordstrom's, which is, you know, mm. like a mid tier, but still kind of high yeah. end store, but to yeah. have it something as accessible, something like that accessible at a place like Uniqlo was like, huh, wow, this is an option. Interesting. So, um, all right. So let's let's jump away from from Sander, who I would say, uh, Stewart was in mid sentence trying to explain something about the shop to to Sander, and I think Sander saw a squirrel and was like, "Oh, well, yeah, thank thanks so much, Stewart. I'm just gonna go over here, over there. I saw something shiny in the corner." And and Stuart was like, "Um, oh, okay, bye, bye, Sander. All right, I'll just keep working on your shop." Bye. Um, so it's Esther's Tim time, and we're back in Berlin. <laughs> where Esther introduces the title of her collection, which is Hungry for Life. And I would say that I'm not, I wasn't so keen about this title of her collection, but I appreciate the honesty in it. 
Um, and also how it flows throughout the collection. So based off of this, like she's hungry for life. She is taking symbols of food and, um, you know, so, so taking cutlery, like spoons, forks, knives, and she created an all over print and use that as like a base for, I, I would say that's one of the only two prints. Cause she uses a, is that a, like a plaid or like a Burberry type looking print? for the other parts of the collection. Um, but we get to see all the other different materials she's using as well. So we're introduced to some fractions of her collection because there's tool, um, a lot of black tool and this, this Oliver print again with the, with the spoons, forks and knives. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts mm -hmm. about this, this take back to Berlin? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it that, Esther, I mean, if, again, I feel like this was so, this was a point of view that I'm sh true to Esther, but also very forced by this pressure of the show to like, show us your fight, show us your hunger. Oh my God, wah, 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 you know? Um, but I thought Esther did a really good job into picking interesting tools that make an interesting pattern that are still mm -hmm. about tools. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was kind of cool. And I really enjoy like all of these kind of takeaways from where they were, where uh, all of the contestants were throughout the months away or the months of work, um, the month away from the cameras. I really enjoyed how Esther is, I, I don't even know how to say it, but just like, um, very into Esther's creative process and mm -hmm. growing and just really, I love how present Esther is for that process. Yeah. And, and that has been so true of watching Esther this whole, this whole, this whole season, all these, these few episodes. Um, and same thing with Sander, like Sander, it's just so fun to see how Sander is always experimenting with something and testing something. Mm -hmm. um, so with Esther, I was like, that's really smart staying true to the process of Esther, of um, Prabant, but then showing tools. Yeah. Right? And to, showing a tool when you think, when you say, oh, I'm hungry for life, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, so much imagery could have come to mind. But hmm. Esther picked something that was about tools. And tools, it's smart because you can, a tool can be used for many different outcomes. Esther is not hmm. giving a symbol that is stuck to an outcome. And I really liked that. I thought that was really smart. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think about that in terms of tool. I mean, I'm also thinking about the play on the word tool as a fabric too, because. Oh, 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 I missed that. Yeah, no. I mean, I did. I, I missed that. Cause I, I, re, I the more you said tool, I was like, huh, this is, was Esther thinking about like tools as in T O O L and T U L L E. I don't know because I, you know as you were talking about that and the things that you enjoyed about this and also thinking about how Esther's enjoying her process and being present. I, I my favorite part of this was her showing off the stuff on her clothing rack. She's like, look at all this yeah. stuff. Like, look at this. I would never have made this if I had hadn't been yeah. on the show. And I look at this. Like, look what I'm using. I would never, you know. And so that's the part I really <laughs> loved. But she really was. Um, she was like, I never use tool. Look at this. Look what I did with tool and, and having such fun with that. But uh, it would be kind of, it, it would be kind of mind blowing if that's <laughs> another reason why she used tool, the fabric specifically. But yeah, no, it, I, I think she, I really liked how 
I, I really loved seeing her enjoyment of these things that um, she's making that in seeing them in their finished form shocks her about how far she's come and how it's, a, you know, she's the one who won the first couple of, of episodes, won the first couple of comp- uh, of um, challenges. And, um, and it uh, you can clearly see that she it went above and uh, far above and beyond what she would have have expect had expected because I don't think a lot of people I don't think a lot of these designers did go in here thinking like I'm gonna take this thing by storm I'm gonna win the whole thing um you know they're just trying to do their best but I think um of all the people perhaps Esther was the the one who had the least expectations out of herself and so I think winning those first two episodes really was kind of um, maybe like, like, like a game changer, but also you could sort of see her realizing, Oh, okay. Now um, I've gotten this affirmation that I didn't expect, but I didn't necessarily need, but um, it's also giving me permission to come out a little bit more with, well, you like that? Well, look at, look at this. And then, but it, it, but seeing her work with these different materials, it's even beyond that where, um, you know, she's just doing these things that have, that don't, I, you know, there's all this creativity inside her and that's what she means by like hungry for life where she's just filled with this desire and need to get stuff out of her. But it's like using the tool T-U-U-T-U-L-L-E is one mm-hmm. of those things where it's not something that's already in her. It was something that was born out of her where she's like, Hey, this new thing that I've become or th- that I'm becoming wants to use that tool. <laughs> And it's just so wonderful. I just, anyway, I love this part. Yeah. So me too. Yeah. All right. Um, we come back to New York and Tim kisses her goodbye. And now it's time to go and see Johnny's pop up with Stuart. So, so Johnny is using this idea of metamorphosis. So calling back to oh, some God. of the prince. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You're not the only one sighing like this. Also, <laughs> just to like let you know that I've read some comments on Facebook and Instagram <laughs> and we have some listener letters that we're going to save for the next episode, but you guys are also exasperated by these aspects. Anyway, so you're not alone, Patricia, but <laughs> but calling back <laughs> calling back some of the prints that we've seen and that uh, we'll see um, in the pop-up shop, but there's like a lot of these butterflies flying around. And Johnny is like, you know, I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like this butterfly because it's not like everyone has heard this metaphor before about transformation because I feel like by saying these words, it's the first time anyone's ever thought of transformation as a metamorphosis, as a cocoon, as a, as a caterpillar coming out of their cocoon, as a butterfly. So because no one's ever thought about that before, mm, that's what I'm going to make my pop-up shop to be like. I'm just going to introduce yeah. everyone to this concept of metamorphosis. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, because Johnny went to Bali and that's what you need to do to have to attain that level of thinking. <laughs> I, I, I like hiked up to a mountain um 
it's at the top there is the observatory uh, because it's LA and it's the top of a mountain that like a lot of people top up to but there's an observatory up there and at the top of the observatory is where there's a giant telescope and you know for me it's not the telescope at the observatory that everyone else looks through it's for me it's the observatory of life it's a telescope into the universe of my mind and that's where I came away with this very you know unique idea of butterflies and then I went to Bali and then climbed to the top of another hill and also saw some butterflies and that's where this came from anyway so essentially it's, to me it's a very straightforward concept but for Johnny it's it, it is like a revelation um and you can to be fair <laughs> to be fair um everyone else has kind of like gone through this transformation I think in in terms of how good Johnny has been in salesmanship, this is kind of, uh, okay. He is the clearest and the most literal in communicating mm. to the judges that he has changed. And so as exasperated as I am by how, uh, how common this idea is and how I'm like, Oh, I want to see a little bit more about you and something that's, I think that's, that's more consistent with your brand. Cause I don't think butterflies are consistent with Johnny's brand, but I think in terms of the salesmanship, it's, it's a great idea. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I know you've said it all. I have nothing to add. I, it's true. I think it's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, but in that, in that idea also, I think it's interesting because, um, so Johnny is the last person to meet with Stuart and, on his so he's like mannequins with who are kind of uh let's see uh they're floating so the mannequins will be suspended from the ceiling and um they're the these mannequins that are that are kind of their hands are at their sides and um their toes are kind of pointed but not too pointed because you can still put shoes on those toes and then their head their heads are their heads are back um and he wants them to be roaring butterflies out of their mouth so the the they have like these little um butterfly installations and they're going to be like roaring out of their mouths um but he walks off and then he looks at esther's pop-up and goes oh my god esther's pop-up looks like mine she's using concrete too and i'm like but you're using butterflies she's got black ropes everywhere johnny what are you talking about i know he starts freaking out um because both of their walls are cement and you have you have like Sandra over there with iridescent foil all over the place, but he looks at Esther and starts freaking out. Then he goes back to the workroom and starts being messy with Esther. I don't know if you, if you clock God. this, but he goes up to I... Esther and goes like Esther. So I saw yours. I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't believe she's doing the same thing as me. And then Esther's like, yeah, you know, I guess we're our, our aesthetics are similar. I'm like, no Esther. No, they're not. I know. But Johnny says something that is kind of passive aggressive to me. It looks like passive aggression, but also this, you know, in, 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 um, in, in, in thinking about your interpretation and I, th- I think very, very uh, correct perspective of Johnny's perspective to this. And, and anyway, he says, Esther they're not going to let two people with cement walls into the finale. Huh? And I'm just like, what are you doing? Are you trying to get her to change her concrete walls? Or are you going to take this information and you go change your concrete walls? Like, what are you doing? What's happening? Yeah. 
We saw we saw Johnny try to do something similar with Megan. Oh my gosh! When can they you, were when they were collaborating together. And... Can you remind me of that? I mean, what I remember of it was that Megan was making decisions to try to sort of be. This is supposed to be both of us, and Johnny was like, "No, it has to be like this. This it has to be like this." Hmm. Um, which to me, um, yeah, I just think that being a control freak means very different things to both Johnny and Megan. I think Megan um, can actually manage a situation mm-hmm. and Johnny just res- res- resorts to just controlling because that's all, doesn't see another way around it. So, hmm. yeah, I, I saw that here. Johnny didn't like the fact that, oh, we look the same. I'm going to go and try to control it. Stop it. You know, as opposed to what could I do differently? that makes sense for me yeah yeah I mean and I it, it that's interesting because I yeah I did I and I used passive aggressive because it felt again it felt manipulative but also inserting a little bit of of um his neuroses because to me I'm like it's not true that you guys are alike just because you both have concrete walls it almost looks like that was the default kind of wall and you could just put stuff on it. And if you're that worried about it, then you go change yours. You don't go up and be like Esther, but also kind of predicting how the judging was going to go, because that's another thing where his mindset is, Oh my God, are they going to let two people with concrete walls into the finale? I'm like, who cares? I don't, I really don't think that's a criteria for judging. Or they're going to come to your yeah. pop-up shops and go, well, you know, we have one here who's like, it's iridescent AF. And over here we have two concrete walls. Well, the iridescent walls in, but the two concrete walls, we're just going to have to choose between the two of them. Like, I don't think they, no, come on, Johnny. It was, yeah. inter- it was an interesting, like, look into how he was thinking of, of gaming this, con- this challenge. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's see. So now we have Tim time at the pop-up shop. So I believe this is the day before. So we had day one with Stuart. And then day two, Tim comes down and does a little look over with their, of what they're coming up with in terms of their pop-up shop experience. And the easiest Tim time is with Sander. Sander just says, this is what I'm doing. I have Taylor's coming in. And this, there, there'll be mirrors here, and this is where the clothes are gonna go. Blah blah blah. We're done. I, I, you know, just not, not a lot of pushback from Tim. Um, Johnny is intimidated by Sanders' idea <laughs> because just to continue this whole Johnny drama, Johnny looking around at every everybody else, um, because we can go to as opposed to Johnny. So Johnny, should we leave Johnny for last? We let's let's go to Esther first because I feel okay. like Esther's was also like not as dramatic. But Jen had one thing to say because they go through Esther's schematic and she goes, "There's gonna be black rope everywhere. Piles of black rope just on the ground. Piles of black <laughs> ropes here. Piles of black ropes over there." And then Tim yeah. goes, "But aren't you afraid that anyone's going to trip on these black ropes?" And Esther's like, "Ugh, Americans." <laughs> that was hilarious she just kind of shrugs and goes oh europeans are far more relaxed about that meaning lawsuits (laughs) you know hashtag truth but still you know look at where you are esther new york city (laughs) i know 
Because in my head, <laughs> my first reaction was like, no, some idiot's going to trip over those ropes. Because <laughs> the, the ropes are so thick and heavy that it's like, you know, it's just like essentially having rugs everywhere. And if they're like, you know, three dimensional rugs, you're, you're not going to go towards them. They're essentially decoration. But yeah, no. And as an American, I was like, no, no. Someone's going to have some problems with those ropes, Esther. <laughs> so, like, yeah. Yeah, like people in heels. <laughs> exactly. Cat, yeah. Caddy people in heels. Oh, my God. <laughs> and people who, you know, they're, they're, they don't, and, and people who don't wake up being litigious, but it's kind of like it's in, it's, it's, uh, they're potentially litigious. And so you yeah. don't want to do that. Anyway, so <laughs> how Esther deals with this is like, Okay, instead of having 20 piles of rope, I guess we can have 18 piles of rope. So get rid of those two piles over there. <laughs> she, she doesn't really do that much. Um, next, we have Johnny. And so Johnny has hired two of New York City's top bogers. And so it's the kind of vibe I know they're going to take up some space with the dancing, but uh, yeah. So like I've like I'm I'm got vulgars in vulgars in my in my in my shop, and um, Tim is like, okay, uh, let's think about the chaos theory of people moving through here. So you're going to have these dancers with their arms flailing around, and you're going to have people over here, people over here who want to actually you know reach their their own flailing arms over trying to take things off of. Uh, um, off of these uh, oh gosh to take clothes off of the the racks to try them on blah 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 I mean what is this going to do it just kind of feels like it's going to be really crowded in here Um, and Tim gets emotional because I think and I don't and I I want to know your thoughts on this too because I feel like for for Tim, the stakes are very high with this and I think he thought Bogers was, was such a bad idea um, that he was like, oh, my God, like, no, not Vogers, Johnny. But, yeah, I don't know. What, what were your thoughts on this? <laughs> I think Tim is very aware of, uh, like, racialized or the politics of racialization. Mm. And I thought, yeah, there were problems with, I think Tim was right. But also it's like, why? Like, why? I don't know. Uh... Oh, no, we can talk about it. I mean, because it's it's like um, it's so interesting because it's like we so throughout for all three of them. They're they're doing their um, I, OK, let's say with a pop up shop or with a with a shop of this type um, of any kind, there's there seem to be like certain givens in terms of what the um, what the foundation of your pop pop-up shop should be so of course there should be clothes um and then there's you know general merchandising and a strategy for decoration but in terms of displaying your clothes um there's like i either a mannequin either there are models or either something else and so sander's interpretation of that is like he doesn't want models he wants the people to try on the clothes and, and essentially have as a part of the installation, these tailors. And then for Esther, you have, um, she, and we'll see later that she actually has hired models who are going to be these living mannequins. And then Johnny on top of the mannequins he has are also going to have these voguers who are wearing the clothes as well. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think in it, it is this on brand and, and is this something, oh gosh, there's so many things to say. Like, you know, Johnny, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, it, it, it is an appropriation, um, of an art form that's not, again, like thinking through why you're doing this and the implications of it and the visual of it as well. It's yeah. Anyway, is that what you're thinking in terms of how emotional Tim was getting? Cause I was mostly thinking of it as Johnny doing something that was so obviously going to be a problem. Hi, sorry. I'm now using my phone and I think my cheek turned off the microphone. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was me grimacing at all of what, what this, the whole production of this um, pop-up shop. So here's the thing. Um, you can hear me now, yeah? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, all right. It's really uncomfortable to first of all, these two New York top voguers, we don't we're not given their names. No. Ever. No. Nope. And I'm really I mean, again, Johnny, um I don't know, like black bodies, queer bodies are not there to be props at your store opening. It, that's Mm-mm. kind of cringeworthy, but also there's this Again, this whole idea that like we had this little clip that, oh, my my collection is going to uh, reflect my life or something like that. And we see photographs of Johnny DJing and being part of dance culture. That's great. But unless you do that, unless you are actively doing that and, and participating in a specific subculture, it feels like a prop. And by the way, I'm super sensitive to this because I don't do voguing, but I've danced like yeah, I, I know I, I know people who do voguing. I'm not against white people doing voguing, but it's like contribute something to the discourse. Yeah. Right. Don't use it as a prop. Right. right? And that's where I where I was really disappointed that um, why was I mean, did Tim say that? Was that cut out of the edit? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. why wasn't that a, a pivoting point of how this was all thought out? And another thing. You know, um is what collection is this? Whose collection is this? Because both Renat and, um, oh, 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 not so much Megan, but definitely Renat. Oh, and Megan. They were both let go because, quote, we don't have a clear idea of who you are as a designer. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I don't think Johnny has any clear idea of what Coda is about, other than it's going to be a mainstream endeavor. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But in terms of having a design identity, I don't know what it is. It changes every time. It's like a scrabble every single time. Yeah. And it's like plucking from this, plucking from here. What can I do? Oh, da, 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 da. And aside from using, you know, if your life culture is based on using like non-white and non-cis bodies as props, mm-hmm. there is a major moment to pause here about your brand. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, absolutely. Because it's like... Uh, it was just too much, you know, and it was just too much of a, like an F you. And also just like, like uh, uh, there's so many things about him that I find problematic. And especially with the very surface connections he makes to things. And I think it's all a part of him being a really great salesman because he, he's able to, to kind of make certain things accessible in ways that are, um, yeah, I, I that really bulldoze history and and the historical underpinnings of what he's actually doing. Because I because I thought with him using these voguers, he was really kind of capitalizing over his own queer identity, even though his 
personal queer identity has nothing to do with voguing yep. outright it has nothing yeah. to do with it and even with the clip of him explaining what voguing is i'm just like voguing comes from a very specific um from a very specific portion a black queer portion of the overall queer community and it's something that's kind of like i would say is more and more um generally known but how he presented it was in the term it was in this very generic sense that to me was just so upsetting <laughs> and yeah. um but also he comes from the circus and so if you have references to the circus on your new labels and on your tags and everything and like uh, and you're sort of embracing the circus tangentially we're, we're not looking at anything in your in his collection that directly references the circus but it's kind of like you know if you're being consistent like what are you saying when you're bringing voguers in like are you saying that they're like yeah. a sideshow like they're a circus oh, act God. like there's something to be peered yeah. at as like the freaks in the corner and so oh, I'm gosh. like there's so many things to this that I was just like, this is so, this is very fucked up. This is very wrong. But also logistically, do you expect them to Vogue for hours and hours and hours? They can't. They can't. Like that's, this is, you know, over, we'll talk about Esther's pop-up shop and she has living mannequins. And it's something that I would say is a little bit more mainstream in terms of what high-end designers do when they have their um, presentations and, you know, you hire models who are really good at standing very, very still in these different types of poses and whatever. But this voguing thing, I was like, Oh my God, Johnny, this is like on par with your fucking candles and with your, mm. your, your like Instagram um, film over you at the, at the shorelines, like everything you're doing so many things that are like little eye iconic and really uh, disturbing and kind of problematic ways. I don't know. It's just like, oh, come on. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And it's interesting because it seems like such a tokenization because hmm. you hired um, or hired or brought in, I'm hoping those people, those voguers were paid um, yeah. to vogue, but they're posing. So you don't need voguers to pose. Right. As Esther demonstrated, like models can pose. Right. Right. And they can do all kinds of pose. So it's it seemed like a very, very specific tokenizing gesture um, just from that point of view. But what I think is also fascinating is, is how um, both Esther and Johnny are both kind of working with the language of photography that comes from fashion magazines, you know, with like mm -hmm. how they direct, well, you know, Voguing comes from making like poses from magazines into a dance form and mm -hmm. more into an empowerment form. Mm -hmm. Empowerment for there were, I didn't think those voguers were empowered at all. They were like on display, but no. um, yeah. So so like all and then same thing with Esther. With where Esther says, "Oh, I would like you to pose like 1950s magazine ads." Mm -hmm. And I thought, "Oh my god, that's fantastic!" Like how did this? I, I, it was just kind of hilarious. Whereas, um. Sander mm -hmm. is really very much kind of in the sort of, um, I don't know how to say this word, the co couturier mm -hmm. world, of like the pinning, the customization, <laughs> the sort of making things fit, making things personal, mm -hmm. the sort of, um, I forget which Audrey Hepburn movie is about um, Givenchy. There's some Audrey Hepburn movie about it. I forget which one, maybe it's Sabrina, um, where there's a very important scene where, 
Uh, important scene. I say it's an important scene, whatever. An iconic scene. It's not that important. It's just iconic in that um, there's a model and a three-way mirror and, and the, the the person who's supposed to impersonate um, Givenchy is like pinning things and making a whole like show of it. Um, so it was really interesting their, each of their approaches to how people should experience their brand. Yeah. You know, and the way that Johnny concepted that out was just like layer of layer of like remove, removed, removed from what was actually going on in the pop-up shop. I mean, I would love like a clown. I don't know. <laughs> like or something like <laughs> maybe or even like like a little, you know, I don't I don't want any any animals. But like what what would Johnny's interpretation of a circus be like with his brand, you know, and mm-hmm. thinking of of there are layers there and and it's so and i would say like the same as that we don't really know much about esther's background and and you know mostly her her upbringing um you know we know we know quite a bit about some of the other designers who are no longer with us um but johnny it's just you know barely we know anything about the circus and then all of a sudden he pulls out like hey music dj club scene i'm like what where did that come from but yeah I, you know, I, but I would, I'm like, clearly the circus is important to you and performing is important to you. So then why don't you make a Johnny Coda version of like a, 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 a ring master or something? I don't know. Or something, something yeah. that's like, it's, it's kind of, cha- it, it gives me some idea that is consistent. Yeah. That kind of consistent, but is a little bit more layered and still bring in, brings in this performing aspect because yeah, no, it is. It just feels like it's just like plop, plop, plop here and there, here and there. And yeah, you know, I don't know. Anyway. I mean, so much of going to the circus is about agreeing to go to a place where, you know, everything is fake, you know, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it's about participating in a fantasy of magic and a yeah. fantasy of like, um, wonder and, and kind of like wacky things and, and there's a lot of problems with circuses you know it's terrible mm-hmm. but but there's a particular creativity that uh, you said showmanship too like right. creativity showmanship so many angles too but also the sense of wonder like seeing someone walk on a tightrope yeah. um, seeing someone do trapeze flying it's like wow like bodies can do that like yeah all of those things, not that they needed to be literal, but I think part of that magic and also music and dance and kind of flailing around, you know, that could have all been, you know, that could have all been dropped in a bull processor, you know, in a, a nice, nice, easy setting. And it could have been very refreshing. Yeah. Um, but instead it was just kind of clunky. And he could have said it in his own Johnny way where it's like, like what you said, like, the circus it it gives you a or johnny coda gives you this sense of magic and wonder you know like you know like you could totally totally take that to the next level um and and still have it in literally in your own voice johnny like you know you could totally do that um yeah and and yeah what what do like the rich girl candles have to do with the circus (laughs) after all after all (laughs) um so essentially after this talk with tim johnny does start to rearrange the store a little bit and i would have to say at this point in the show i was hoping that he would 
go back on his idea of having Vogers, but then we, we find out, no, he just rearranged his store to make room for the Vogers. <laughs> Eventually. I hope they got paid well. <laughs> uh, I hope they got a rest. I would love to see, you know, um, but and so in in terms of you saying like you know we don't we don't get their names because I do follow some like some houses in New York have uh, Instagram sites and um and so I think I'm following a hashtag I I think I can't remember what hashtag it is but I went to see I'm like am I following any of them on Instagram I'm pretty sure they have Instagram but I couldn't find find them um or or figure out their names and I also did Google top Bogers yeah me too NYC. me too. <laughs> Well, I googled like Johnny Costa Vogers, Johnny Coda, excuse mm-hmm. me, Johnny um, Coda Vogers, and I didn't see it. The, I, there was a few interviews where Johnny talked about, oh, it made more sense to have models than Vogers. Yeah, yeah, hmm, yeah, yeah. So we can go to Pop Up Day, and it's sort of like a a mad dash to get everything ready, and everyone is trying to get their stuff together and they're all super stressed, but they're still kind of like playfully jabbing at one another because here's Sander being like, bitch, get out of my way. Bitch this, bitch that. Ha, nah. You know, just, but also trying to be strategic about like, okay, so the colors are going to go over here and well, I have to see how it's all going to look because I have so many colors and I'm like, yes, bitch. Yes. Cause he's a walking meme. Um, anyway, so <laughs> And then, then we also get a reaffirmation that Johnny has the best Vogers out there in his shop and he's watching them do their thing. And uh, we have Esther setting up with, with uh, her models, um, observing them doing the fifties poses that she's instructed them to do. And they're really good at holding still, uh, completely still for a really long amount of time. Anyway, for all these people, I'm just wondering, like, you guys got breaks, right? I hope I hope you got bre- got breaks. I don't know how long these these shops were open, but holy crapness, it's just a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So it's time to open the stores, but before we officially open the store, hmm. we have an opening ceremony from Johnny Coda because. <laughs> There's this moment when everything is done. I pull out the candle and I light it. That means the Tokyo Olympics can begin because this is the best collection I've ever made. And it's like, no, Johnny, we're not the Olympics. We're we're making the cut. You didn't light the Olympic torch. You you lit the $50 candle that you made in Bali and and we're here in your pop-up store and it's 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 time to, for you to to like let your customers in. Anyway, it was just like this is the moment where we just finally get to take it all in and exhale. All right, now it's time to open the stores. Here we go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just had to give that a moment. I don't know. It's like that Echo Park, you know, like spirituality <laughs> oh man echo park silver lake oh la what's happening so all right so um i guess it's time to sell a ton of clothes so we first i think the first scene is where johnny um welcomes people into his stores and then we have the the vogers who are like on the side so we kind of kind of see how people are able to come in um but they're just like out of the way a little bit. And then um, 
we also have our judges are coming into Johnny's store for the uh, in terms of the stores that they're visiting. They visit his store first. Um, and it's like, a, oh, am I going too fast? Is this right? No, I think no, I think. Yeah, because I, I just have in my notes that we um, we see that Nicole Ritchie's back. Because we miss Nicole Ritchie and and Corrine Reutfeld's not here either, but Nicole Ritchie's back um, because we we I don't think she was with uh, the show at all in Tokyo, so she comes and she twirls in to um, to redebut, which is just 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 great. I just kind of I think Nicole Ritchie is such a fascinating character um, and so fun, and well, you know, I think she kind of shows her chops as someone who is able to connect with consumers um, and does her consumer research, but also her judging research as while she's in trying to get how the customers and, you know, these NYCers just from the street are enjoying these pop-up shops. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sander opens his shop house of boss for his label, <laughs> Miss Boss and is nervous just for a little bit, but then he pumps himself up. He's like, bitch, get in there. Turn on the charm and start up. selling. <laughs> Grow up. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> you could tell Sander likes Drag Race. <laughs> That's where it's from. Okay. That makes sense to me. So funny. So so this is the point where everyone's just sort of op- like going around to all the stores. And I also was, I felt very jealous because I'm like, I don't know how they found out about this. <laughs> and... I was like, so did you have to have about a million followers to get invited to this? Who reached out to you? What is the criteria? Yeah. So, um, but we do get to see a few other characters who we've on- we've never really spoken to before. So one being Stephanie Park, who we first saw on the Couture episode in Paris. Um, and she's yeah. the one who famously um, pulled out Jiwan's white uh, white sports wear suit to be put on Amazon.com and I think G is probably the only non-winner to have a, a piece or an outfit produced by Amazon. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And then we are introduced to someone, um, Christine Beauchamp because they I think they first go to Miss Boss, House of Boss and uh, she goes, hello, I'm Christine Beauchamp, president of Amazon Fashion. And this is my colleague, Steph. And I was like, excuse me? You mean Stephanie Park? Like, what are you doing? Um, so it's like, I'm Christine Beauchamp and this is Steph. I'm like, no, 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 lady. We know who Stephanie Park is. We don't know you. Or at least I don't. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but this is sort of the, the the main groups that are going through the shops. So we have Stephanie Park and Christine Beauchamp who are um, with Amazon fashion going through uh, on their own. And they're, they're asking like what's selling and what mm. are people drawn to? And then we have our other judges, like a pair of judges. We have uh, Joseph Altuzara and Nicole Ritchie going through and kind of giving the feel of the, of the merchandise and, looking at the the clothes. I don't think they're necessarily trying anything on. Uh, we don't re- really see them buy anything. And then the third group going through is Heidi and Naomi. 
so, so it's kind of like we have the business women going through and then we have like our judges from the fashion world going through and then we have our super models who go through because they need to ransack the place on their own um but also it's just a it's just good footage getting two supermodels trying on all of the designers clothes anyway love it. i love this this is my favorite part of the episode so uh i love it where at one point we see we see Naomi wearing something and all of a sudden there's a camera cut to the fact that Naomi just lowered her jumpsuit to put something on <laughs> and didn't take off the shoes. They just left them like by the ankles, like no problem. Like I just want to try this top on, put it on. <laughs> cause I was Loved like, it. I was, cause I saw that I'm like, Oh wait, is that how you're supposed to do it? <laughs> you know, when you're in the middle of a store, you have a jumpsuit. Cause she's wearing a jumpsuit, which is really hard to try clothes on in. Um, but also I'm thinking maybe not because it's a one piece. All you have to do is unzip yourself and just take it off. And then you have it, your whole, your whole body is free. So I was like, we've, I've been doing it wrong. When I go to try and close, I need to, to actually put on a onesie. And then that actually, you know, I don't have to go to a dress, a dressing room. I can just take off my onesie in the middle of the floor and just like have around my ankles because that's how Naomi Campbell does it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they get to go through um, each of these stores, and I feel like at the beginning it's a little like here and there. But let's talk about Esther. So they get to Esther's pop up shop, and the judges, being, I would say everybody, they all kind of make their way through. We we see Esther talking to uh, Stephanie and Christine and she's showing them what dresses are selling and surprises and she's like oh what's selling that you didn't think would sell like oh my god everyone loves this sweatshirt with the forks and knives and the spoons on it and and like oh and then Christine Beauchamp goes oh it's like a sweatshirt but in merino wool and I'm like okay yeah so it's I guess that's interpreted as an expensive sweatshirt but it that's that what that's what's selling and then you have um uh, Nicole and, and Joseph going through and and sort of looking around like, oh my gosh, you know, look at this. Like, um, there are so many other aspects here. Oh, oh sorry. And Kiara. Kiara um, Frogney is there as well. Um, it's like all they're, they're going through and being like, oh, well, this is something that's really complicated that we never you it's you know, you have to kind of try it on. But these pieces are really beautiful and well made. Um. And then we have yeah, Naomi and, 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 and Heidi coming in. But what were you going to say? I was going to say that they, the, I forget who it was. I'm almost in the replay. I'm almost coming up to it. But someone said that, oh, they look so complicated. But when you come up close, when you break it down, everything's really wearable. Yeah. I think that's what Nicole's, is, wait, Nicole said. Um, yeah. Now that there's a Christine Beauchamp, I'm having an even harder time calling Nicole, Richie, Nicole, and that. Christina Nicole anyway so yeah because she was looking at one of the models um I can't remember which model it was but the model was wearing like uh three pieces like a a a pant set a jacket and something underneath and she was like oh wow you can kind of take these off and each piece individually is very very wearable um which is so nice when you you do have someone actually like in uh wearing like a sports wear type suit type thing instead of like because she has a model that's wearing a dress and it's the best-selling dress and then she has the other model wearing like three pieces and then another model wearing 
another set. I just I just thought that setup was really smart because you can actually in, interpret it, but also because again, es- the knock against Esther is that everything is is essentially in black, um, and you really do have to kind of see it on a body rather than on just the the the, the clothing rack. So, um, what else I was going to say? Oh, yeah. Did you think that Esther got good feedback from the judges in the pop-up visit? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that most of them were very, were very positive because I think it seemed as if they were like, okay, great. We have, you have um, branded your own personal style. They're all styled like Esther styles herself with all black and hints of gold and I think all of them, um, I don't know, they they didn't seem, they seemed like they were prepared to not be into what she was making. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just, yeah, it's just that, me. But... That was disappointing. No, that was disappointing. Hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, because Joseph goes like, oh, understanding your world gives me such a better um, idea of what your clothes are about. But I was like, but that's interesting because I think she's been the most clear about what her clothes are about in this competition and consistent. and consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I, I was thrilled and it felt like the judges were mostly fascinated and not necessarily blown away or um, particularly positive. They were just like, Oh wow. Okay. Not what I thought. Huh? Cool. Right. That's how it felt. So um yeah but Heidi and Naomi come in and point out great things they're like you know she has her jewelry out and also her shoes are available because the shoes that uh Esther made or, or were wearing got a lot of screen time throughout this season and I'm not really sure if she made those shoes or she bought those shoes which which is interesting to me because I'm like did she partner with a shoemaker or with the brand who she was already wearing to have these in her shop don't know um so but Heidi and Naomi are responding very positively to the clothes and um they're all they're buying so they're like no no no. we bought our credit cards we're 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 gonna buy some stuff Naomi is wearing Esther's shoes I don't know if you saw that part and um also she goes oh um, Esther, would you put this in my older tooth? I would also like this and blah, 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 blah. And then Esther is like, I have a surprise for you too. I have black ice cream on a black cone <laughs> and you can eat it with a gold spoon. And they're like, oh my God, this is great. And then as they were leading, as they were leaving, like Heidi was leaving, but Naomi was back in the mirror going, Heidi, my teeth are black. Look at this. <laughs> that was so funny. Heidi, my teeth are black. <laughs> I love that. It's like those funny things you say to friends. Like, I, I just love that. <laughs> and also that they're like talking about the size they should get. Like, what should I get? Like maybe a medium in this. And Haya's like, mm, I'll get a large in that. Um, it was, it was very, very, very fascinating because as they went through, they got different sizes in different stores. I'm like, huh, like, why are, why are you getting a large in that? That's interesting. Um, or why would you get a medium? Why would you get an extra, extra small? But, um, not sure if that was intentional. So, no, well, because of fit. I often actually buy things that are twice my size because I can do something. I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just looks, I don't know, it depends on what it is, but because of fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I just really, really love that. Um, that was fun. All right. Um, next, we have Sander. And uh, again, we have our, our different sets of judges going in. With this, what I really thought was wonderful and amazing is that we hear from Nicole Ricci going in and being the, the charming saleswoman demon that she is. Um, so again, we have the setup where people are trying on the clothes and then Sander has two tailors helping them fit things. And Nicole's like, oh my gosh, isn't this amazing? Isn't this great to have like a tailor fit it to your body? Because it's then you, you feel different in clothes. Like, how do you like it? How do you feel about this? Blah, blah, blah. She's just like working the room in this this wonderful way. And then you have Naomi and Heidi coming in ransacking the place. We're like, I want this. Like, oh my gosh. Like, what about this? I want extra large in this. Like, what do you think about this? <laughs> and it's just great. Anyway. <laughs> um i thought it was interesting that sander referred to his clothes as dummies so kind of like like the 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 basis dummy not mean like unintelligent but kind of like the like a like a blank slate in a way and as something that is um a jumping off point so naomi and 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 heidi are trying on the clothes and um, you're able to imagine like what they could look like or even have them as is or have them pinched here and there just in a, you know, a, a particular, a particular way. Um, and we get to see them get, getting fitted by the tailors, which I just thought was really great. Yeah. Um, this was super fun to watch. Yeah. What, what did you think about, so Nicole Ricci brought up something that was interesting because she hasn't been around in a while and wasn't there for, the episode where Sandra got a talking to about being commercial. So she was the most surprised because she didn't see anything that was recognizable in terms of being avant-garde, but had hmm. had kind of skipped Sandra's transition to doing something that was more accessible. Yeah. I thought that was just so outlandish because pop-up shops are about selling uh, moving merch right that's what people say mm-hmm. moving merch oh my god so it's like just selling merchandise and uh, the avant-garde wouldn't experience yes you could have pop-up shops about avant-garde stuff that wouldn't be for amazon yeah yeah right so in a way i thought that comment was like out of context for hmm. me yeah yeah i mean i was a little worried with that comment because I, you know, we don't really get to see a lot. I would say like, this is like the worst way for me as a viewer to look at what they've been making because um, we don't have a runway where we get to see things um, walking and moving and, uh, you know, piece by piece. Um, I would say more so we got to see the most popular pieces because after people do buy the clothes and there are these little scenes where you get to see what it looks like when someone goes up to a kiosk and, and buys the clothes, it's like, ah, they just bought these pants. And the clothes are not photographed in the best way <laughs> either. Um, when they when we get to see like a little, uh, you know, a pseudo receipt of, of, of what they've bought. And with Sander, I was like, I, I really would love to actually seen what he had to offer in there and what what Nicole thought of as something that was unrecognizable because just from the from the look of it it felt like something that 
Xander would would make and also something that people were really gravitating towards. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also thought it was a really smart move because most um, it was a move that was about adapting to different price points. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what the business is. And that's what Sander understood and did. And yeah, that's exactly what I thought, too. Yeah. And and there's something like Heidi says something like, but we're not used to to, to seeing this person making clothes like that. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that exciting? I know, I know. It's like that's. I think that's okay. <laughs> it's not. That's that that's okay, and especially and it's, and someone did bring it up where they're like, well, we did challenge him, and we are seeing him as someone who's making clothes that we can say someone will buy that. Because his main critique was, no, no, not a lot of people are going to buy this thing. So it's like he's answering the call. So, you know, it's. Good. I think that was Naomi. I think that was Naomi. Okay, Naomi is clutch. Yeah, I like she gets it. I think she's paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yep, she is. No, and she's consistent too. Like some of these judges are not consistent, and she's very consistent. Um, all right. Next, Johnny is visited by the judges. So, um, <laughs> Nicole comes in and she goes, oh, dancers. <laughs> anyway, so they all see, also, they see the accessories that he's made. And um, it's kind of clear to them that Johnny has done a bunch of stuff. They go, oh, you made the jewelry? He's like, yeah, the jewelry and the candles. Oh, the candles. She's like, yeah, like candles, everything. And it's like, um, and then Nicole says something like, yeah, it like really, you see it like it me it really means a lot when you, you know, do it yourself. Like when you make your own candles and when you, you're designing your own jewelry and I'm just like, Johnny has a whole factory in Bali. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I get it. Like when you say like by yourself, like what are we talking about here? But when she said that, I was like, oh man, it kind of highlighted, highlighted to me just the army of people that Johnny had behind him as opposed to what Sander and Esther were working with. And we don't even know what Esther was working with. We didn't really get that much. We got a little bit of a, of a view into her team, but we really got to see Johnny's team and he has a team of people. And I was like, well, yeah, when you have a whole army in Indonesia with you, then sure. Anyway. Yeah. But what did you think about this? But yeah, any thoughts, just share your thoughts. Cause I'll, I'll ramble. I, I looked at Heidi. By the way, I thought that coat that Heidi liked it was $350. I thought it was a beautiful garment. Yeah. I think I liked it. I'd wear it. But when it comes to, like, looking at the store, so we have, like, so many narratives. We have, like, um, this is my store after 15 years of doing something else. Um, I want to be a global brand. I come from dance culture. There's people voguing here. It's like there's this brand called Hood by Air. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it, right? No, I don't think so. Maybe you oh, have. Okay. Wait, go ahead. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure you've seen it because they are very, very well known. And they actually do come from dance culture, from voguing culture, from queer people of color culture. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching people interact with this. And it's like, to me, it seemed, I don't know, strange. Because this looks like just, there's a narrative about what this is, but the experience is totally different. The experience to me feels, and again, I've never been to Los Angeles, but it feels like a very cookie cutter type of store that could be in Los Angeles, could be in New York, could be in Miami. Mm-hmm. And 
with the same kind of um, people with the same income bracket would buy, would go there and not even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it didn't seem to have a consistent point of view. It did not seem to have a strong point of view. It seemed very diluted just by looking at it. But then when, when I consider what the ideas are behind it, extremely diluted and extremely inappropriate in some ways. That said, I loved the coat. I thought the coat was beautiful. But if you want to be the mainstream version of Hood by Air, um, I don't know. To me, that's also a very politicized decision yeah i mean it's it it's it's interesting i mean because i i i can it's it was a very forgettable shop you know in 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 the grand scheme of things and the more you you talk about that the more i realize i remember feeling really disappointed in how his shop looked because out of everyone he seems to be the most experienced at opening stores like he has a main store And I think yeah. he's had other locations and I'm like, and especially since we've seen him run a team, I'm like, wow, yeah, with this and, and merchandising and you have all, you had that thought and, and ambition to do those things. And so then your shop is going to be something interesting as well, but it's like, it's concrete walls with some vines. And then I think for Johnny, the, the biggest deal was to get his name up there, his first and last name. Like that was the that was the revelation of that shop was like, oh, my God, my name. I'm like, sure, but it's surrounded by these fake vines. There really isn't much else on like happening. You have like normal, normal platforms. And also, you know, you have the the whole pipe deal as your as your hangers hanger system. It's something that is, yeah, just very generic in a in a in a Pinteresty enough way where you know I would say women and I, the most of the shoppers here that I noticed were um, were white women who were who would be attracted to this and and perhaps people who are into you know creative things and and have means blah blah, blah. but it really wasn't meant I, I didn't think of I didn't see him as saying anything with with the shop in and of itself and I expected that and then when I didn't see it I was like oh okay and then sort of moved on from there but but yeah it's just kind of like there is there really is like the brand is um as Naomi said it she's like I've seen all of this before it's not groundbreaking I've seen it but yeah but in, in a way, it's like, isn't that also kind of what you guys want? <laughs> like something that's not too different, you know, like Sanders too different. And then Johnny yeah. is different enough, um, but not, but not, but very, very safe and almost generic. Too safe. Yes, too safe. Yeah. I was trying to think of it, like, what is, the, what is one word for too safe? Um, mm. what is Cliche. That? Yes, yes. And perhaps the, you know, and, and I, I, that's, I, I love the coat too. I, I think the coat's amazing. I think, I think what the Vogers were wearing was amazing that, that these pants were really cool. Um, but um, the look of the store and, and I thought also what was really great that he did was he had different colors and everything. He had this skirt that's because, okay, we can talk about this. Naomi and Heidi come in and they essentially buy up everything. They buy one of everything in both colors. So there's that jacket that uh, that Heidi had on 
I think she was trying on the navy blue version, but there's a black version. And Naomi is like, should I get the black or the navy blue? And then Heidi's like, for three fifty, get both. And she's like, okay, I'm just going to drop fourteen hundred dollars in here, blah blah blah. And like, oh, here's a white skirt. Should I get the black or the white? And Heidi's like, get both. And it's like, okay. And I and I remember thinking, I'm like, huh, in Esther's store. There isn't that. Like, there is no variation. There isn't, like, a navy blue version of what Esther's making. And even in Sanders' store, maybe there's, like, different neon colors of what he's making. But holy mm-hmm. shit. Like, this is another thing that, you know, this generic thing that I just didn't think about was, like, shit. You know, you can go in there and you like that skirt in black. You can also get in white if you want. You also get in some some gray. And to think that way, I'm like, you know, anyway. I don't know what I'm feeling. I, I just, I'm just like, I wish he'd put more into his store, but it's like, didn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Anyway, any thoughts, any yeah, other thoughts? You know, I just, I mean, for me, I was like, okay, I love that coat, but what does that have to do with a butterfly on a sweater with a tacky fanny pack that Johnny styled around the waist? I mean, you know, using the language of the show, the kids don't wear fanny packs on the waist anymore. The only they person don't. I see wearing a fanny pack on the waist these days is me. And even I wear it a little higher up than I used to. Okay, now it's like high waist, not like, you know, like low, low hip, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and, and for me, it's about convenience. Like, I'm going running. I need something to carry my keys and my phone. I'm going here. I need something to carry my keys and my phone, right? It's not like this fashion statement. It's like a an utilitarian item that I, whatever. But I, I didn't understand, like, what is the point of view of this collection? Hmm. You know, especially when other designers have left because they didn't have a consistent or clear point of view. Well, where's the clarity here? The clarity here is, oh, we recognize it, so it feels right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what is that? If it's the future of fashion, then I don't know. We have to be a little more uncomfortable, don't we? We do. And we have to be open to things that are not readily recognizable because in that sense, I I feel like there's a little, there's a sense of helplessness. And, you know, before with me, it's so dramatic. I'm like, oh, helplessness. But I I don't remember which (laughs) episode it was where it dawned on me. I'm like, we're seeing a lot of Johnny. And also there are certain, you know, uh, talking heads where, you know, they film these talking heads out of order. But there was one, and I won't recall it. I won't, I know what it is, but I'm not going to describe it outright. But there was one talking head where I'm like, ooh, this feels post-shoot. This feels like a winner's cut. And that's when I first thought, I'm like, shit, did Johnny win this? Um, and, and it just kind of like, um, just really like clouded over how I noticed everyone else's edit. And what I've been feeling with Johnny is that like, he just doesn't have to do the work. He doesn't have to do anything. It's just that it it's like when when people are more into what they're familiar with, then you have no control. <laughs> it's not up to you. It's not it's and, and I wouldn't even say that. So Johnny is a good salesperson, but at the same time, he doesn't really have control over the fact that he kind of is fitting into this mold that was pre-made and he just kind of like n- I feel like there's a a part of it and feel free to disagree with me. Like there's part of it that he's like naturally in there, but he didn't do any work. You can kind of chalk it up to maybe like the idea of, um, you know, uh, white male cis 
med- mediocrity, just sort of just, yeah. just thinking of just how structures are made for certain types of people. And for a lot of white male cis gendered people out there, it's just like you can be mediocre and be extraordinary because you're mediocre. And and yeah. and your level of mediocrity is what we're looking for because it's confi- it's familiar, it's comfortable, blah, blah, blah. So that's what we're going to um, make at the the center of this power structure. And so that's what I've been feeling with Johnny where I'm like, you didn't really work hard for this, but it doesn't really matter. And also, you know, you really don't have a consistent view. And for some people and, you know, for, you know, for Renat, that doesn't apply for Renat that get that gets her kicked off. But for you, um, you're inconsistent in the right way. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. I'm in complete agreement with you. Nothing else to add. And we're not, and also Megan. Megan was also sent home. We really, you know, Joseph, you know, with clarity voice, we don't understand what your point of view is as mm-hmm. a designer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but how does Johnny have a consistent point of view as a designer? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I think what you're saying, everything you said, leads me to want to introduce a conversation <laughs> about white mediocrity and success. Yeah. <laughs> but also that um, is about Amazon, hmm. right? Because when, when I said this before less eloquently, well, not at all eloquently, but um, that when we talk about um, Amazon trying to infiltrate, <laughs> I'm using that word deliberately, infiltrate the fashion industry, um, their manufacturing process is not going to be about making, you know, high fashion. It's going to be consumer level fashion. I have nothing against consumer level fashion, mm-hmm. nothing whatsoever. I love Uniqlo. Um, but this is not about this show about the future of fashion is actually very, is very much already about mediocrity, right? Mm -hmm. And the sort of the labor system that is in place Mm -hmm. is what it allows for. (sighs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) One huge aspect of this show, because what we are getting is one, a show that is really a commercial for this fashion infiltration, um, initiative you know corporate initiative um but all of these labor things are so obfuscated and of course we're talking about this um in a time when a worker in staten island like literally two weeks ago mm-hmm. two weeks ago yeah was yep. fired for wanting better working conditions for themselves and, and their co-workers mm-hmm. um and i'm talking about chris smalls the um actually you know what i'm gonna get my notes because I actually wrote down, oh my goodness, can I even find my own notes? Yeah, that person was actually a processing assistant in the, in the Staten Island um, Amazon facility, and they basically organized a, war- a walkout on March 30. Mm-hmm. Well, that was not two weeks ago, I'm sorry. But they've been in the news for two weeks, and they actually were fired. Chris Smalls was fired. And at the time, um, Chris Smalls began protesting when two people tested positive for COVID-19 at the facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, by March 30th, 10 people, I, I read the 10 people had contracted the virus, so or the uh, coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that this was an un... Um, this was not a selfish motivation. <laughs> this was a very legitimate 
concern that should not have resulted somebody in being fired. But so we're watching this show about fashion in this um, network vertical that is exposing all kind or has been really controversial in terms of like how their plants operate, how their manufacturing lines operate, how their their payment, you know, all of these things. So it's a little bit for me for the show to be valuing a, a sort of like mediocrity that is easy to manufacture, that is not testing any boundaries makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. But one of our favorite authors, thinkers, just published something in the New York Times, right? Yep. Jamel Bowie. <laughs> what did you think about that piece? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, I, I don't tend to read the column. And Jamel Bowie is a columnist for New York Times. I don't tend to read the columnist um, in particular because the headlines are really frustrating <laughs> sometimes. Um, but I thought it was incredibly smart and a in a great way of encapsulizing what's happening right now as something that is not just um, COVID related, but but just really, really seated in something that has happened before, <laughs> you know, because everything is unprecedented right now. You know, we're we're still in quarantine. We're still sheltering in place and it's and every day feels unprecedented. But this type of reaction is something that I think people have been talking about a, lo- a lot and especially before, you know, before thinking of um, how Amazon does treat their workers. Um, but there has been this malaise, I think, in terms of how what, what you're able to do in the face of something or an entity or a corporation that's so powerful. And I think Jamel's piece, like I know him, Jamel Bowie's piece, Jamel Bowie's piece, <laughs> you know, ties it to, um, you know, pre-depression times, post-depression, and thinking of this in terms of the future and how we're going to go forward with this. And I think the show brings into so many questions. And, and in particular, it is like how these things are manufactured, how we view workers. Um, um, and it's weird, because, uh, weird meaning. Com- oh, sorry. That? I think, that, I think that was my phone. Oh, okay. I just message. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, but just weird in the sense that now we're we have to think about these things because it's Amazon and not just because it's Amazon, but because of the things that Amazon does. Um, the stories that we hear about Amazon treating real people and the fact that like this, they're trying to do something that's affecting uh, the the world in a, in a real way. And because these people are going to be, I don't know, you know, I can't predict how visible they're going to be, but um, thinking of how, and I, and for those of you out there, I, I'm putting the link to the episode that, that Naylan referred to where they interviewed Tim on, um, oh, really? podcast, uh, keeping, keep it. So the podcast is, it, podcast is keep it. And Tim does talk about their, uh, so Tim and Heidi, um, first pitching this in Netflix and then trying to pitch it someplace else. And I was thinking, I'm like, what, what would the show be like if it were pitched on Netflix? So we got, um, uh, Oh God, next in fashion on Netflix. Yes. But then once they took it to Amazon and Amazon picked it up, I, I think this whole idea of a global brand 
the million dollars, um, making it something where we could buy it right off right off the bat was an Amazon venture. And so it's like this is what happens when you take a venture like this to Amazon. And this is what this is how Amazon uh blows it up and it's sort of what Amazon has been doing to other industries like how they've been blowing up under other industries as well um but I don't know I'm 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 I I what makes me very sad um in thinking about all that is because voices like Sander um voices like Esther uh, people who are even we're not like those it's like I, I think th- we have to do the work on our end to see what they're doing as being valid because yeah. they're being eliminated from the show and you know it just kind of the um, the connotation is this won't work as a global brand which is not true um, or this yeah. won't work for the the type of consumer who you need to attract in order to make this a global brand. I'm like, it's not true because we all like their their, their designs. We don't like all their designs. Like, I don't like everything that Sandra makes or I don't like everything that Esther or Johnny makes. And that's true for all of all of creative things. Um, but we have to do the extra work being like, no, but this is still valuable. Like what Sand- like Sandra's perspective and and how he's interpreting this pop shop and the work that he put in is so valid. The work that Esther put in is so valid. And like the lack of work that Johnny put in, I don't think that's valid, but it's insulting. It's insulting. Yeah. yeah it's insulting. Anyway. So I'm, I'm, I pulled it full circle, but it's like, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the layer of Amazon on top of this and what's happening right now with, with, um with workers going on strike and the type of, I would say the type of, uh, Goliath that they're up against holy freaking yeah. shit like holy shit yeah. like it really is like a feat and it, it is the beginning of something and it's a dangerous road like it just to be very blunt about it like this is a dangerous yeah. road to to start paving um and it's going to take a lot of, of heft like you're going to you know you lose you're going to lose your, your job you like might lose other things but um yeah I don't know. It's just, a. it's, it, I think it kind of like bleeds into the helplessness. I started feeling during this episode. I was like, Oh God, he didn't do much. And he's got Vogers in there and it's like, you know, he's got butterfly tigers on his shirts. Like, Oh, they love him so much. It's like, he doesn't have to do anything. It's like, everyone is translating how they feel for Johnny. And, 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 on, but on top of that to, again, to affirm that Johnny in and of itself, like he's, he's good at what he does. Um, and so it always always has to start from somewhere. But in terms of everyone here, I don't think he did the best. So, no. So yeah. yeah, but it doesn't matter. Nothing really matters. Anyone, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and the, I just want to mention before I forget, the name of the article that we're referencing is by Jamel Bowie. You mentioned the name, but it was published on April 28th on 2020. And it's called Another Way the 2020s Might Be Like the 1930s. Hmm. Uh, and it's a really good piece. And I it was hard for me not to think about the show. And I read it. And it was hard for me. I mean, not just the show, but other things. But And also think about how complicit we all are. Like, we can't not mm-hmm. support Amazon at this point. No. Right? If we use a government website, it's hosted by Amazon. If we need toilet paper right now, we're probably going to get it on Amazon, you know. Yeah. And 
there's so many things. If we look up our favorite movie on imdb.com, that's Amazon. If we looked at the, if we tried to make sense of our political landscape and tried to use a reliable fact checker and we go to the Washington Post, that's owned by Amazon. Mm -hmm. So we have no choice but to be complicit in this. So, and it's nobody, you know, it's none of our fault. And um, it, I just think the conversation needs to acknowledge that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the show. But of course that wouldn't happen because that's not what commercials are for. <laughs> no. I mean, okay. Because I, I and I want to like, this reminds me of something that Joseph Altazara said. So at the, at the end of debriefing about Johnny's pop-up in their, their judging circle, Joseph says, I have like one negative. It's just that Johnny's brand identity. It reminds me of other things. Yeah. That's the only negative. I was like, that's the main negative. <laughs> it's the main that's negative. Like, that main negative is pretty important. Real. It's real important. But, um, but, 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 and I, and I wrote that down because it was part of that whole thing that they're, they're doing the work for him. And even Naomi, she's like, I, it's nothing. It's nothing that like I haven't seen. I'm a supermodel and I've won all yeah. of a couture, but I love it. I love it. I was like, damn it. Naomi, love yeah, it. No, <laughs> nothing groundbreaking, but I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. And then the family is to send on the store, except for Esther. Oh, it's just yeah. like, it's just kind of heartbreaking. Because like, you know, uh, Sanders' amazingly supportive family comes in. And then Johnny's amazingly supportive family comes in. And his dad's like crying. Everyone's so so happy to see his name on the wall and then Esther's like well my parents are dead so you know I'm pretty sure they're proud of me though wherever they are oh. <laughs> I know that yeah I mean I didn't I didn't get any idea that she was sad about it it was just very it was just kind of just very straightforward and matter of fact um and maybe that's cultural I don't know um I was sad for Esther <laughs> because yeah. She has friends, and I'm pretty sure she knows people in New York. Again, I want to know, like, Esther, why didn't anyone show up to her pop-up shop? I just want to know. Um, yeah, or, or maybe they did, and they were like, we don't want to be on camera. Keep it about the clothes. I can imagine, I don't know, but I could imagine Esther being like, no, make it about the clothes. Just hmm. the clothes, not me. <laughs> Interesting. I even want to know that. I want to know. Because yeah. I, I just, it was very, you know, it was it was very distinct to me. It stood out. Um, but not in a sad way. And I was like, huh, this doesn't feel sad, but I'm still like, mm -hmm. all right. So, all right. Now it's fire squad time because they're done. Everyone's shopped a bunch and everyone's like talked a bunch and they've sold a bunch. People have vogued their asses off and the models have like <laughs> modeled and held 50 poses their asses off. And so, um, yeah, so it's time. It's time for the for the for the judging. Um, Johnny says something very pointed here. He goes, "If if anyone goes home today, I will be heartbroken for them." Them being the operative operative word here, because you know he's just made his like Olympic collection of his life. So he's like, mm, "For them, I'll be I'll be really heartbroken, but not for me. For them." Um, because unfortunately one of them is not making the cut for this episode and yeah. um, I'll just say that we're so it's like 
they they all kind of gather but what we're actually seeing is the after they cut we don't see them come in and we're getting like a look into episode 10 because they're going to save the firing squad for episode 10 like for the finale they're going to cut them up to shreds in their judging in the finale but we're going to talk a little bit about it right now so um how much of it do you want to talk about patricia <laughs> i don't know i i will follow your lead honestly okay i mean because i i we will say i think we have to say who gets cut at least um and and who who does get cut who's who is not one of the final two to go on to the finale? Well, um, unfortunately, um, Sander does not make the cut. Yeah. And I didn't think this until after some time after the finale actually aired. It's just that out of all three of them, Sander's runway was what I was looking the most forward to. So when, Me too. when Tim Gunn says only two are going to be in the finale. I was like, what? Why? And I didn't think that Sander would not make it, but I, I honestly just thought about, I'm like, Oh man, no, I wanted to, I really was interested in seeing his collection more than anyone else's. Yeah. I would have loved, see, I thought top, top three was going to be Sander, um, Esther and Megan. Really? Yeah. Wow. Or maybe actually, I'm sorry. Who left last week? I I, I should know. No, Megan left. Uh, yeah, it was Megan. Oh, it was Megan. Yeah. Who left the week before? Oh, I, she, I was it G one? I think it was G one. Oh yeah, I thought G one also had a, a super chance. Yeah. I thought it, it was either like one of those. I did not see Johnny in the top three, like at all. I did not see Johnny in the top two. Yeah same i mean especially oh. after the the runway where everyone this is the the runway on a boat in the harbor where they're <laughs> like where naomi campbell was almost in tears about how disappointed by johnny's runway she was you know so i was like there yeah. naomi was really disappointed in that runway so johnny's definitely getting eliminated but no megan got eliminated instead so yeah i think we'll leave it there um so We'll leave y'all on a cliffhanger, but not really. You guys know, and unfortunately, Sander Sander gets gets cut. So now that you officially know that Sander gets cut, what I'm going to do is put the link to Sander's website in the show notes because it's a hilarious website. <laughs> it is burger themed. <laughs> oh, like, can we say why? Can we say why? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You can say it. Oh, I say why. Okay, because um. Sander used to work as a actually I don't know what the role was but Jenny worked John, um, oh my god Sander worked at a burger place um so Sander is just running with this theme of like I make burgers and I make dresses check it out it's so amazing I, I love the fact that anytime Sander posts on Instagram even if it's about something that has nothing to do uh, Sander links to everybody's instagrams that yeah. all of his all, all of the peers on the show and i really just love that and sanders is really having fun with who sanders is and where the ideas are coming from you know not necessarily working in a store but serving burgers yeah 
I love it. Yeah. I mean, there's he's all over the website, but he's it, it, like the, the dresses change and the customers change, but the customer is wearing his dresses or his outfits, I should say. And um, Sanders at the cash register, checking them out all decked out in his burger flipping uniform, probably also by Sander boss, but he, <laughs> he is working in a fast food restaurant and then also selling you couture. It's great. It's so fun. And- it's so great. And to me, that is a much more kind of ode to queer culture hmm. than Johnny, because that is literally serving fashion. <laughs> so thank you, Sander, for being awesome. That is a great note to end on, Patricia. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, before we officially say goodbye... Can you um, remind the listeners where they can find you and if you have anything else to share? Nothing else to share. Um, If you can, please go outside today. It's so nice out. Um, Oh, you know what? I might. Can I share um, Chris Smalls's um, Twitter account in case anybody wants to follow what's going on with the fired worker at Amazon uh, Staten Island? So Chris Smalls has a Twitter account, which is... um, at shut underscore down Amazon. Um, and I can be found kind of loitering on the, um, well, loitering and being opinionated on the, the workroom podcast on Instagram, um, beginning to be more active on Twitter. So yeah, I, I have the same handle for both platforms. Um, it's at sense and site. That's op- common sense optical site. That's at S E N S E A N D S I G H T. And yeah, that's it. Yay. And um, I have, I also have nothing more to share, but just that um, all these things that we've talked about will be in our show notes. So feel free to click there. And you can also find me on the um, workroom Instagram account at uh, the workroom podcast and on my social mediums at Ernez, H-E-R-N-E-A-S-E. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to post more on Instagram there in terms of what I've been making in quarantine. So follow me mm-hmm. there. And again, it's been wonderful to hear from you all. So keep sending in your your thoughts, your feedbacks, your gossip. And um, also, oh, one one thing I do have to share is that um, we um, there is a YouTube video of making the cuts reunion with Tim Gunn. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to say that for the finale. Whoops. I'm going to, I'm going to cut that out (laughs) because it's, yeah, there is like a reunion show kind of like what Bravo does and they did it. Yeah. They did a zoom version of it and Megan's on there too. So there's, um, just for the top four. So including Megan, um, anyway, I'll, I'm going to cut this out and just like put it on anyway, just so you know. Um, but yeah, so you can find me there and then. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But um, continue to take care of yourselves as best you can, um, and take care of each other. And just again, so so grateful to have you all as listeners. Until the finale episode, we'll both say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.